guys, it's me, Alex, and I am here to tell you that I am the host of a world-famous talk show called The Alex Cast. By world-famous, I mean it has been listened to in a whole bunch of countries around the world, and by famous, I mean, well, I'm a, I'm a liar. Sorry. Tonight I had on the show the wonderful, the fabulous, the other words of accolades, the calming influence in a tumultuous world, uh, the great water boxer. Uh, you may uh, know him from Twitter. Uh, you can find him at Waterboxer. W-A-T-E-R-B-O-X-E-R. Uh, I spelled that because, being from the East Coast originally, I say the letter T as a D often, and that makes for awkward spellings. I am here beforehand in this introduction to tell you to please go to facebook.com slash thestandardpdx. That is the bar that sponsors this show, and that is the place that feeds me uh, bar food and drinks in payment for talking about them on the show. But I would talk about them anyway. You know why? Because I love them, and I love their bartenders. I've had one of them on the show, maybe even two. I'm not entirely sure. But the point is, it's a great place. Wednesdays are dollar hams, uh, which is a cheap drink to have, you know, a beer. And you're like, hey, for a dollar, I can have one. And on Sundays, it is $2 microbrews, if you like microbrews. And yeah, that's that. So go to The Standard. It is at facebook.com slash thestandardpdx. Or uh, you can go in real life. It's on uh, Northeast 22nd Ave in Portland, Oregon. Um, it's right off of East Burnside on 22nd. So yeah, go there. 14 Northeast 22nd. Yes, good times. Uh, also, please, uh, facebook.com slash alexcast uh, would be great if you go to uh, alexcast.com. as all the links to everything. I've just recently re-uploaded my old blog on there, the One Angry Anthropoid. I know some of you uh, knew me from back then. Shout out to Eric. Um, you can find him at Waking Finnegan um, or Finnegan's, whatever, find him. He's got Lobo as a picture. Um yeah, so that's up there. So if you go to alexcast.com, you're going to see a thing that says writing on the top. And yeah, you can click that and check out the blog that I started when I moved to Oregon. Um, details that and then goes into a whole bunch of other shit. So yeah, check it out. Uh, you can also find a link to my books. Uh, Periphery is the novel I just put out. I would love if you purchased it. Uh, you can purchase it through Amazon. The link is there. It's also available on Kindle. So yeah, click all the things there. Um, you'll see an Audible link. Uh, you get a free audiobook if you click that. And that'd be good free as an air and also click the uh amazon link before you shop on amazon because that gives me a chunk of your purchase and you don't have to pay a red cent extra i say this for this reason this reason only i don't have any money and uh, uh if you do that i can afford things like this better internet and um you know beer i guess uh i could afford uh some new shoes Things like that. Anyway, uh, this is a fun episode. I talked to Waterboxer, and we talked for a while. So, yeah, please in, uh, enjoy. Um, deep, breathe deep the the bonds of something. I don't know. I'm just going to ramble off and let the music play. Off my
Hey guys, it's me, Alex, and I am joined on the old Skype on the phone with our good friend off of Twitter, Mr. At Waterboxer. Hello, sir. Hello, everybody, and hello, Alex. It, uh, it's a delight to be on your show. Oh, thank really you very is. much. I'm a longtime listener, and uh, as I tell other folks who are into independent podcasts, you reflect the sound of the Northwest, of the, you know, I really think just uh, as I've said, uh, Izzy has the sound of Ohio, uh, the folks of Potent Brew definitely have that Philly sound. And what I like about yours is, uh, is that you do reflect your community. And I think that's very cool, whether you know it or not, speaking from, some, from someone who just listens and who's from outside that area, that's one of the things that makes your show stand out and uh, why I'm a regular listener. And also you're a writer and you uh, you like words, <laughs> you know, and that's one of the things I like. That's probably why I have a presence on Twitter. I kind of like playing with words, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's fun. my obsession in, in, you know, whatever. The, maybe obsession is the wrong word, but it's probably accurate. It's just it's words in general, not just writing. It's just mm -hmm. the idea of them, the power they have and then the power they don't have. I, I just think they can be, the, you know, the greatest of art and then just the most vulgar piece of shit thing. So uh, they're, they're fun. Yeah. Well, actually, see, words, and I know this from a marketing background, right? Words can be very profound in how they're organized in the things they can suggest in one's mind, right? You know what I mean? This is, you know, you know how something is phrased. It's very interesting the kinds of responses you could get if, you're, if you want to, if, say, if you are, if your desire is to create a preference for your brand or product, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but, but. It, that could be dangerous. You know what I mean? In some ways, I feel that the stuff I've done there is not necessarily using words for good. And I feel my persona as Waterboxer on Twitter, I have, I could have fun with words and, uh, and use them for good, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And, uh, and use some of those things I've learned maybe, because uh, Twitter can be fun. And for me, it, I look at it, even though I have a small audience, uh, as kind of a little personal newspaper of what's going on in my little community in uh, the South Bay of Los Angeles and uh, things I see, uh, uh, th places my wife and I go, often pictures of nature and the ocean and things like that. Things that are, you know, hopefully things that are uplifting and positive. I, uh, I am, um, and cool things that I see in my neighborhood. You know, my neighborhood, uh, as a writer, you'll, you may appreciate this. Uh, Charles Bukowski spent like the last 25 years. Oh, no shit. Okay. Combing the bars, just about six miles from my front door is Green Hill Cemetery, where he's buried, laid to rest. Oh, okay. Right? I've seen that area on documentaries about him. Oh, no doubt. Dude, All it's, right. I'll get you a picture. We we uh we've driven around the cemetery, and I think his gravesite is eight seven five. That's just off the top of my head. Uh, but I haven't actually found the plot. I have a you know I've just driven through, and it uh it's a pretty place. You know, not much of a view. But uh, and even on my Twitter and Instagram, you uh, I've got a picture of the Indian Room, which was one of the many bars that he used to haunt. Um, just a little, uh, you know, thought you might appreciate that. But it, there is a little interesting history of him in our community, and and a lot of cool stuff in Los Angeles that people uh, may not pay attention to, because I think when a lot of folks come out here, they're going to go to Disneyland and Universal Studios and maybe Venice Beach and think they've had. A flavor of Los Angeles and uh, or a taste, and I would argue uh, that uh, that's that's just for the tourist or the consumer. There's so much cool stuff as like the comedy houses. Okay, <clears throat> this week 
my wife and I met a bunch of the Death Squad folks from Jill Himitsu, shout out from the from uh, Washington, uh, Yuck Nasty and Doggy Baby, who uh, you know they do a podcast. Uh, they were here, Death Squad Arizona, <laughs> Jay Steiner from Arizona, uh, Heidi from Arizona, Bricks and Bullets from East LA branch of uh, uh, and further of Death Squad. Uh, Deroy Dizzle, all these folks got together, right? And uh, and on two nights, we all, most of us got together and saw some shows. We went to a Red Band show uh, Friday night at the Ice House. It's a ten o'clock show, and he had an incredible lineup. Three very powerful female comedians, too. Three very, you know, Sarah Tiana being one, Marilyn Reichkoff being the other, and the third. I don't want to look this up on my Twitter, but. Um, uh, she was wonderful, just wonderful, and a, a couple real strong uh, male acts. A cat, uh, he's from Seattle. He was an engineer, and I think um, his origins, I think, are Afghani. His last name is Anwar. I follow him on Twitter. This this guy is a very talented guy too. Really well, that name great, great. that name really strikes a familiar tone. I think I. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't want to distract our conversation by looking on my Twitter. Just I, I have found if I'm going to be in a Skype conversation, I start looking stuff up. I may lose some of my focus, but uh, uh, this guy, um, this guy was great. So it was a great lineup of folks, and all those folks I mentioned earlier were all there, which was super awesome because. What's interesting about this Death Squad thing? Those that aren't involved in this, it may sound menacing. But it really isn't. It is kind of an umbrella, and it indicates that the folks probably have an interest in culture, art, like comedy. They may have a sense of humor. They may also be in MMA and health and stuff. And what some folks may not understand on the side of culture and art that you can be in a health and fitness and also have a great sense of humor and appreciate a good book, you know, and a, and a fine phrase and and a great movie. So, um, and that's the neat thing I found with these Death Squad folks is all of them have been super cool. And I met many that they come to LA, and I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, when these folks who I know uh, come, you see a show with them. It's so wonderful because you already feel like you know them. And some folks, like Bricks and Bullets, brought his wife. I brought my wife. Uh, the women all all were, su all were super cool, um, and we all laughed together and had a great time, you know. And <clears throat> and comedy will uplift you. If you can get out to live, just like live music can rock you and you can feel it and stuff, go to comedy and I feel as a as a uh, go as a participant, go there willing to laugh, be completely engaged in it, turn off your phone, and uh, go let the you know if it's a if it's a good performer, they'll make you laugh and they'll take you there and I feel I leave with a very good buzz, you know, a buzz better than I get from you know surfing. Um, a buzz people who are taking antidepressants may may get, you know. It's a very good feeling though, and I, I uh, not just with with friends, it's even better uh, to be able to share that experience. But just seeing it, I don't know how much you get out yourself, Alex, for live comedy. I think you saw uh, your mom's house performance, didn't you? Not long no, ago? I, I missed that one. I went to uh, <sighs> I did see Bert, uh, Bert said, <laughs> and that was fun because as we did a little Death Squad Portland meetup, which. Fortunately, there's not a ton of us out here, but yeah, Jill Himitsu and her, and uh, Danny, her husband, came down, and uh, a couple of the uh, I don't know three five other people. Uh, we all went to see him, and that was yeah, that was really fun. Oh, maybe Matt Desquad Washington. Yeah, that's Matt exactly yeah. yeah. Matt and his yeah. chick, who I forget yeah. her name, but she's Parrot something on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, great people. Yeah, yeah, very nice. And then um, robots eat vegans. Uh, I forget his real name. AJ Marquez, I think his name is. 
Um, <laughs> we've great, great Twitter name. A funny guy, I think. I don't know if he does stand up, but I know he goes to a lot of it. Maybe he's just starting, but very humorous fellow on the Twitter. Oh, I will pay attention. I will pay attention. Yeah, it is kind of funny. Uh, introducing everybody uh, now, say we had about 10 or 15 people together. Now we all have alter egos, so to speak. We're not superheroes or anything, but we have these Twitter personas or, ego, or names, right? And introducing everyone is, hey, I am. I, you know what I mean? I'm oh, so, yeah, so. Yeah. Also, I am a, you know, and some of us keep these names for reasons, for professional reasons or for whatever, you know, um, it doesn't, you know, for it, it doesn't really matter. But it is kind of adorable when you have these grown adults in a bar, you know what I mean, where everyone's drinking and some people are smoking cigarettes or smoking a joint. Uh, they have these little names like strippers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I'm, Tif <laughs> I'm Tiffany, but actually I'm Joanne. You know, yeah. it, uh, it was adorable, though. And it was all uh, it. Uh, and it is that neat thing about that whole death squad hashtag because you you find these everybody I've met if they come to LA and they're one of my friends on Twitter if I'll try to go to a show with them or hey if you're willing to get up in the morning I'll take you I'll teach you how to stand up paddleboard you know um, uh, but it's nice to see, you know like I say it's the great thing about Twitter and these folks probably in the real world um, we probably never would talk or be friends you know. And uh, now we're hanging out and socializing and having a great time and feeling totally comfortable as if we've hung out with each other for years. Yeah, that's been the really, I, I'm very much a kind of, I, I like people quite a lot. I find them fascinating, but I'm not a particularly sit down next to someone and talk to them kind of fellow. But uh, when, I, when this Death Squad th thing started showing up, it was entirely new for me to like, I just met people and just hung out with them that I've never quote unquote met before because I knew them from Twitter and it's just, the immediacy because I know we share the sense of humor or share whatever it is. So like Jill and Danny came down from Washington, uh, see Duncan Trussell. Unfortunately I was at work, so I didn't get to go, but I met with him afterwards and that is so not like me, but it's like, ah, fuck it. I know these guys. Cause it's, we've got that shorthand and it was really this insta comfort. And it was like, oh wow, this is weird. You know, what a, what a great little shortcut we got to create for ourselves. And part of it may be because we kind of get to know their – not just their interests because they're in this desk one umbrella, but we kind of get to know someone's personality well before we, we see them. You know, Many of the folks I interact with daily on Twitter, I don't know their race or even their sex in many cases, You know, um, but I kind of know their voice if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I kind of know who they are, and I like them, and I, I follow over a 1,000 people, but you know, I take time out every day to try to read. You know. Everybody or glance at everybody, and if the people I really know, I'll really read. Or if they have a picture, I'll try to try to look at it. I'm very interested. I learn a lot every day, not just about news, but about human beings. You know, it's another way to kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, study humans. You know, or you know, and, and learn from them. That's a better way to put put it because uh, there's a lot of folks with with a lot of opinions that aren't necessarily mine, but I like I, I don't mind them. I don't mind them. You know, I could I could take a differing opinion from someone and maybe perhaps learn from it or understand that's the place they're at at that very moment in life and perhaps, you know, 10 more years of studying history they may have a different opinion. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That's the weirdest part too. Well, not the weirdest, but uh, like I'm I'm 32 and I just because I'm I guess self-centered, I always think everybody's my age and I was talking to uh I think uh, I forget who the hell it was, but like he he just turned 21 and I was like Oh my God, like, because Twitter is this ageless thing, you know, you just, you, you're looking at words and it's just so odd. I'm like, why am I judging, not necessarily him, but why am I judging everybody? Like we're at the same, you know, level of evolution or the same age range, whatever it is, you know, this, this, this kid's just being able to get into bars and we're interacting every day. Like that's a, that's a head trip. Cause it never occurred to me because 
it's stripped you, away. You know, the ages are stripped away. It's Joe. Hey, Joey, Texas diabetes. That's exactly he's, who it was. Okay. He came out to the show. Now he's almost my son's age. My son's younger than him, but they're in you know, the same age range. We interact. He has the same sense of humor with me. I didn't know how young he was, but I, uh, uh, Bricks and Bullets, who holds down East LA and Riverside County uh, in Ontario for Death Squad, he, uh, uh, we were talking about going to the show on Friday, and he said, "I'll buy you a ticket, Joey." And 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 uh, and, and here's just a disclaimer: the following is pure fiction. Um, and then um, I told him that, uh, um, well, Joey, if he buys you a ticket, I'll get you a Chibachu or a Bang Bar to make that show fun, right? So now those who don't understand what a chibachu or a bang bar are, are, are they are edible – it's edible cannabis, very strong edible cannabis. Um, and in California, and you guys know Washington, Oregon, you know, California medical cannabis is totally cool. And <clears throat> although the story didn't happen, if it did, when Joey did arrive at uh, the Ice House, he picked the bang bar over the, uh, the chibachu, and then he sat front and center in the middle of this comedy show. And his eyes turned like tomato red, and he had the biggest smile on his face that every single comedian picked on him, and he had the best time of his life. Oh, that's awesome. What is interesting, though, the, the kind of the end of the story is – so he left, and the dude flew in from Houston. This is the thing. He flew in from Houston. He wanted to party, have a good time, right? Um, so we took care of him. He – he these bang bars are a lot more powerful than people imagine, right? Unless you're like Joey Diaz and those listening to church of what's happening now, probably follow me. Um, understand now, I don't take these all the time, if you know what I'm saying. They're powerful and uh, you've got to be very selective. Um, and you shouldn't take the whole thing, I suggest. Um, but and nevertheless, Joey ate as much as he needed to eat. And then after he left the ice house, I think he caught a taxi or a bus to LAX. I think along the way he finished the bang bar and he fell asleep at LAX and missed his flight. Oh no. <laughs> oh, so so um so Joey had a good time. You know, I figured that story should go on record somewhere. Yeah. If it was, the if fix, it was true. fictional Joey had a had yeah. a had a fictional good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and everyone did. And everyone did. And if anyone ever listens to the Ice House Chronicles of that night, they may uh you know, Joey's name can may come up a bit. It uh but it was a fun night and everyone had a good time and sitting back and laughing. And yeah, these people are utter strangers. Joey, come on, I wouldn't he's a college student or college age roughly, or that, you know, that demographic. I would never interact uh in the real world, but I know him through here and I have know his friends. I know his sense of humor. I know he's a great kid. I know he loves his bike. He's got a good heart. So yeah, I'll I'll be a good host to him. And I found everybody I've met through Twitter who's under this desk squad umbrella. Um, when they've come into town, hey, I, they've always been swell. You know, I've met him. You know, it's and there. It's and it's always been. You know, uh, it's always been very warm, like your experience. Like they're just a bunch of old friends. You know, and perhaps through the some of the pictures that are posted. Maybe you know uh, they they could recognize you. In some cases, though, no one even knows what anybody looks like. You know, which is uh, I there's a cat name. I think it's I love tater tots. Michael Marsh. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's the ad. I wasn't sure if I had it right, but uh, uh, we met him for an Ari for Shafir show at the Hollywood Improv a few months back, and I didn't even know what the dude looked like. We were my wife and I were just sitting in a uh, in a bar waiting for him. Um, and I didn't know if he was white. I knew he was a man, but I didn't know because I didn't look. I didn't. His AVI didn't indicate anything. So we just like, uh, you know. Fortunately, we hooked up. But uh, that's kind of the neat thing about this too. It is very colorblind. You know, I uh, I posted something which is a colorblind chart, and it says Desquad is colorblind, and it really is. 
it, it, uh, and, and what's beautiful is uh, multicultural. I can say that very easily. You know, you look at some of the, at least here on the West Coast, you see, and I think that's really beautiful. You know, it's beautiful. It kind of reflects the world that, uh, at least the world I see every day. You know, you know, so that's a nice thing. Oh yeah, so. indeed. Yeah, it's it's fun. This is my main interaction to the outside world. Is you know, kind of through Twitter. That sounded depressing. I didn't mean it that way. I just mean, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to you know sit around and like gossip with the gals. And it's 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 interesting because I actually like when you bring up like kind of like or the idea of like multiculturalism. It actually doesn't occur to me. It's just like oh, we're just people. Like the same way I think everybody's my age. I just I think everybody's just. I don't want to say the same race, but everybody's the same race. It's just like, yeah, it's just it's completely colorblind. That's what I have. Yeah. Like you forget like for months and it's like, oh yeah, shit. I forgot there's, cause every now and again, there'd be like a flame war going on and people start using some harsh language and you're like, whoa, oh my God, I forgot this exists. You know, not that you forget it exists, but it's so it's, it's distant from your, you know, kind of the pleasant life you get the experience there. It's yeah. It's what a weird thing to get built around, you know, something called death squad, you know? <laughs> That's the that's the irony of it because it's much more than a cat shirt. I found, you know, it uh, and it, it sounds so menacing, but it's very loving. I found a lot of people like yourself uh, and everyone, every single person I've met. These are good-hearted people. They're kind. They 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 may have a, a sense of humor that doesn't mean you don't have a good heart or you're caring or you're creative, or or you have. I think all the voices I listen to on Twitter, they're important. Some are real young. Some are old. Some are. Some I don't know what they are, you know where they're coming from, but um, but uh, yeah, but if I see that that death squad hashtag, I I'll already assume we may have something in common, you know. Yeah. You may be some cat that only likes MMA. That's cool, you know. Or you may be somebody who only is into on it or that kind of stuff. That's cool. But you may be someone who's really gets the comedy because <clears throat> on Monday night we went and saw Kill Tony, which is Tony Hinchcliffe's show, which I call Tony's Laboratory. Now, if you haven't followed this podcast, Kill Tony, which is on the Desk Squad Network, on Red Band's um, Desk Squad TV, uh, it's – for a real fan of com comedy, um, this is your show because – and it is essentially a laboratory. What Tony does is it uh, – he sits at a table with two other, two other professional comedians, and up-and-coming or brand-new comedians <clears throat> get one minute. They perform in front of these three comics, <clears throat> and – they either they have their act criticized, or if it's a good act, they augment it and say maybe you want to put this tag on it. It's quite interesting if you appreciate um, comedy, you know, as an art form. Any anyone it is, or maybe musicians can understand this a different way. Maybe it would be like you know a one minute audition in front of professionals, and then you know and thumbs up, thumbs down kind of. <clears throat> Some people are, are car crashes, quite honest, and they shouldn't be up there. Um, yet. The last two uh, comedians to perform, both were women. They'd been on there before, and I should give them shout-outs, uh, but I don't want to open my Twitter, man. One was Sarah Dresses, and uh, the other one who closed the show friggin' rocked. 22 years old. She did one tight minute. She had you know, any performer, whether you're a musician, you're speaking in front of people. Part of my job is I have to speak in front of people, right, or at times I have to speak in front of people, and – being kind of comfortable and at ease and kind of making eye contact and still allowing some of your charisma and personality to come through can be difficult. Great comedians get this through. They're not afraid of the audience. They're going to look at the audience. Good speakers aren't going to be afraid. Good musicians aren't going to be afraid to look at the audience. <clears throat> so this woman who closed the show uh, had that. Very comfortable on stage, just a great performer. And, um, and funny. 
which I'm not funny. I appreciate comedy, but I'm not, you know, I'm not that funny when people are really funny and they can deliver it. And then when it's done very well, uh, I appreciate it. And, uh, and later after the show, I talked to Tony and what's really neat. If anyone does come out to the shows out here, if the comedians know your desk squad or if they recognize you, they, they'll talk to you just like I'm talking to you and it's no big deal. The comedy store is real fun because all these comedians just hang in there smoking pot or cigarettes or whatever uh, outside. Um, but Tony has seen me at a bunch of shows, and he and I talked before prior to him doing his podcast. And uh, he and I just talked about the art of comedy, you know. And that cat, Tony Hinchcliffe, if you guys aren't paying attention to him, please do. As I told him, and I've told other people, this is kind of if you were to take uh, Jeselnik and Tosh, right, and, and meld them. He's a little bit younger. The, he's writing for the Burn. Does a lot of writing for the the Comedy Central roast. He and I talked about. The most recent one, which was for um, – oh, goodness, the actor. My goodness, I'm sorry. I'm slipping on this. Um, oh, uh, oh, geez. I, somebody was just telling me about – was it Seth Rogen or no, no, Seth no, Rogen was, was no, no, there no, being yeah, made fun of? It's yeah, No, no. It's it's a, it's a uh, <clears throat> I don't I don't want to look it up either. It uh, Anyways, he wrote for that too. But uh, anyone not following Tony Hinchcliffe or paying attention to his comedy, you may be missing out on um, a big star uh, – you know, as he's rising, I'll tell you that. You know, I've seen a lot of comedy and stuff, and I've seen him develop. Um, but also, he has got in a very quick mind. He's very sharp, you know, very sharp. Someone to pay attention to. And the show, for someone who's a fan of comedy, is worth listening to. Or if you come to LA, it's free. You buy two drinks, they're a fortune. And what's a drag about Hollywood clubs? And I grew up not far from many of them, and I've been to all of them. Um, is parking. Hollywood sucks for parking. This is what makes the Ice House a treasure. It may not be as groovy, but there's a great parking structure that's five bucks. Hollywood, you're going to pay it. You, you, you may have to park on a street and walk a couple miles. You may have to pay between 10 and 20 bucks for parking. Just, you know, it may not matter to anybody or, or take, you know, what a lot of those folks did who are from out of town is they just Ubered it. And that's the best way to do it. Best, best not even take a car into Hollywood, to be quite honest, because that's a drag, really. Um, yeah, that's a. That's like car culture thing of L.A. That's just going back to I wanted to mention it earlier when you're talking about L.A. and the attractions there that aren't the tourist ones. The reason I haven't been there is because it's a car thing and I would have nowhere I wouldn't know where to point my car. You know, every conversation about L.A. has the has the conversation. It's like, but I don't know what to do. Like the only cities I go to are like the ones that I can just kind of. All right, I'll get off in the middle somewhere and now I'll just start walking around and from what I've heard, it's like, yeah, that's not really the way to find LA. And yeah. well, dude, it's so spread out, right? Like a lot of the folks when they come to visit LA, they stay in the valley for some reason. Now, LA is so spread out. The valley is somewhat close to Hollywood, somewhat close to Pasadena. It's fucking far from the coast, all right. And and to really see everything, you know, like downtown LA is the place to really see. Not Universal Studios, not even Hollywood. Uh, I, I actually – not until a few years ago, I never even went to Hollywood Boulevard, and I grew up out here. I've been to Sunset a million times, but it wasn't until we had some guests in town from Pennsylvania. They wanted to see they wanted to see Hollywood Boulevard and you know do that. So um, uh, that's not so groovy. But downtown LA, there's history. There's old architecture. Um, two cats who came, um, Jay Steiner and Desquad, Arizona, they wisely stayed in downtown LA, which is right by Chinatown. Chinatown, 
It's old LA. It's authentic. It's been around forever. Uh, they went out and, on my recommendation, got the dim sum. It's a great place there. Uh, right next to that is Olvera Street, which is an old Mexican town, essentially. That's a place to go for the Day of the Dead. It's old. It's been around forever. Right near that, you got Little Tokyo right next to Chinatown, which is really freaking cool. This is all – you can walk through all this, dude, okay? Yeah. You can just park in Chinatown. Then if you want to see some of the – not underbelly, but a part of L.A. culture, right next to that is Skid Row. And if you go at the right time, you'll see streets lined with tents, right? Human beings just living in the streets, hundreds of them at times. People may not tell you this, but it's true. Um, now, when you say Skid Row, is that where – did the term Skid Row come from a place in L.A. called Skid Row? I don't – I actually don't know. I don't oh, okay. know if it was – I don't, don't know if that's just a term that has been around for the you know the down and out part of town. Well, right? I know it I know it as that term, but I don't know LA that well. I'm like, oh, man, maybe that actually is where that term came from. It never, yeah, I don't, no, yeah. I, I, it never occurred to me that there would be an origin. Yeah. <laughs> like, that skid row is legit. I'd say don't get out of your car and walk around, but it's – but you could see all that in a couple hours. Yeah. And that's a pretty groovy thing to see. Um, and I was just telling – I just uh, – Tweet, tweeted um, Desquad Arizona. There's there's these things called the tunnels of L.A. that exist under L.A. Some of them are still open. Some of them were, were designed to uh, for rum runners <laughs> during oh, the yeah. prohibition era. So that's an interesting part of L.A. You know what I mean? That is, everyone wants to go to Venice. Venice, you, should, you know, okay, you should probably see it, but you're going to see mostly tourists and people performing for tourists, right? If that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there's, that's, other, uh, there's other areas. You know, it's not going to be that way. Uh, Sunset in Hollywood. If you're into music, obviously there's all sorts of little clubs. Um, it's where a lot of people who don't live here go to party on party too. If you know what I mean, and get crazy. People who come from out of town, I think they treat Sunset on a weekend like Vegas. You know, and oh, yeah, yeah. go crazy. They'll go crazy. So if you're into that, uh, uh, you know. The comedy clubs, like I say, I'd say the comedy store is is very cool. It what's interesting is the history on it, and you probably know, or other people listening probably know, but the gangster Bugsy Siegel uh, once owned that. I think it was called Ciro's. He was the gangster who built Vegas um, for the mafia. Now he was later killed in his Beverly Hills home, but that location was his old place. So it's got some history and some soul, and <clears throat> legend has it that uh, that mobsters that were killed there haunt the place. Yeah, right? I've heard that place is haunted as fuck. That's yeah. yeah. And is it? And I will tell you this. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, if you ever like see a TV set or you know uh, on TV, it looks so gigantic, and you go onto one, and you know because of um, camera isn't three dimensional. So you're going to get that 2D feel, and it's maybe going to feel bigger. The comedy store is tiny, guys. The room that uh, – the belly room where a lot of the shows you may see are in is microscopic. <laughs> you know, A lot of it is really small. It's a small little patch, but it's – you know what? On a Monday night, we had a blast. Okay, On a Monday night, um, hanging out with friends, seeing some comedy, super fun, and any of these Desquad comics, if you don't walk up and talk to them, they'll walk up and talk to you just like no big deal. You know what I mean? I, which is really nice, which is really nice. Um, I'm, I'm rambling there. Oh no, it's, it's awesome. Like I was uh, after the, uh, Bert Kreischer show in Portland, he hung out and he actually made the bar reopen at the comedy, at the comedy place. Cause they were like going to shut down. He's like, no, I got a whole group of people. And it was, you know, he was just like this really, you know, sweet fellow. And 
yeah, it was just kind of nice. And I've, I've heard only good things about the, uh, the, you know, the death squad comedy guys. I've, you know, I've seen a handful over the years, but not, you know, not enough. Hey, Joey Diaz, if he ever comes to your town, he's a cool dude. He'll treat you like a brother. You know, he, he, what's interesting is first time I ran into him, I saw him after one of his podcasts and I, I, I don't, I don't have too many pictures of too many of these comics. I just don't really do that. Right. And, uh, but I, uh, I have one with him cause he insisted. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because uh, I said, Hey, uh, after the show, I said, Hey, just, I'm, I, I'm on Twitter. I'm water boxer. I'm just kind of low key. He says, you're a water boxer. I need a picture with you. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's awesome. So, he, so what's neat is he pays attention and he interacts, you know, which is really cool. And these, all these folks, hey, all these folks are, are independent contractors who are artists. You know, they're working the road. They're, you know, sometimes working for a flat fee, sometimes a flat fee and a commission off drink sales. Um, and, we're, and we're their fans. We help support them and we appreciate them. And I've... And they, but they're they are just, just folks. That's all I'm gonna say. They're just just folks, and that's the thing. <clears throat> I have not necessarily found with lots of entertainers growing up here. You know, you know it. Uh, I don't. I haven't found any of them filled up filled with themselves. You know what I mean? Or with this, I haven't seen felt any inflated egos. I felt just pretty much down to earth human beings. Yeah, all of you know. And it's really interesting all, about that the the comedy community and where you are across the country. Like I grew up on the East Coast originally, and the comics there were not as maybe it's just a death squad thing just because those are the people I'm paying attention to because social media is around now, but it seemed like it wasn't nearly a, a, like, like growing up outside of New York, it was just the comedy scene where it was the comedians. And then maybe they'd be bothered to give an autograph. Not even bothered. They'd be very polite about it. But the idea of like this long form interaction, you know, like, Hey, you're an artist. I like, Hey, you're someone that appreciates my art. Isn't there? Well, kind of the, at least what I associate with the West coast, maybe because of death squad is, Oh, you appreciate my art. We probably have something in common. Let's try to have, let's let's do a tester conversation for a few minutes and see you bore the shit out of me. <laughs> you absolutely, absolutely, and like Hinchcliffe, he and I talked about. Um, Itch, you know, he understands comedy, and it's nice to talk with a performer, but one that actually understands the process technically. And me as just a consumer of it, I know what's good. If you know what I mean, yeah. and uh, and it was and it was nice to talk to him about that. He and I talked about. It. I don't know if you saw this. The quote Chappelle meltdown in Connecticut. The recent one. Yeah. Okay. It, uh, yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. I viewed it. He viewed it. We came to the same conclusion that he wasn't the meltdown. Uh, what you had, and I want this to sound snotty, but you had an unsophisticated comedy crowd. They went out to hear. You know, I'm Rick James, bitch, and. Dave Chappelle is doing stand-up comedy. He's not referencing old characters from an old TV show. So that's what kind of set this thing off, and it, it just kind of digressed into a loud audience, everybody just talking. And, and I, I do think there are certain rules if you go to see live comedy. At least – maybe not everyone is an experienced um, flyer you know, or an experienced – but um, – sorry about that. Uh, yeah, but um, not everyone is – you know, but uh, – Go go along with them. You know what I mean. Make it kind of like go there, trying to, with the intent of laughing, and understanding that this is comedy, you know. And go along with it. It's only going to help. And I will tell you, even if you sit right in front, if you're laughing with the comic, and you're into it, that you're helping the show, and they're not going to pick on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, uh, what I will say was very interesting. Shout out to. Uh, I mean, this is a very long list. Okay. But it's very interesting. When the show started, Heidi, 
my wife, Texas Diabetes, Bricks and Bullet, we sat right in front, inches away from the comics. Because stage two of the Ice House is microscopic, dude. It's maybe a 70-seat room, but I would say honestly more like a 40-seater. That's the room we usually hear them referring to on the Ice House show? Yes, the yes. Ice House podcast? Oh, cool. Yes, but what was interesting is, though, uh, our, our guests from uh, Wisconsin, that's Yuck Nasty and Dog Baby and uh, Jill Himitsu and Edie and Reverend Roy Dizzle, uh, all of them didn't sit in front. They sat way over to the right side, hoping not to get picked on. Yeah. <laughs> Very fu- I thought it was adorable. I thought it was adorable. Uh, but as a, as a someone who's a fan of just comedy, who likes to see it, uh, but I do. Th- it, I think if you go there with the right mindset, and that maybe not everyone is, sees comedy uh, has this, but go there, I'm ready to laugh. And I will tell you, if you're there, even front and center, if you're laughing along with them, they know that. You're making the show go. You're reacting to them, and you're making you know your laughters breed other your laugh laughs breed other laughs. They really do. If you get where they're going, you know, uh, and it could be real fun. It could be, especially when the the comedian, it, it, and I will tell you this: the crowd, <clears throat> both at the Ice House and uh, of comedians in both cases, at the Ice House and at the Comedy Store, unlike other groups. These artists are kind of nerdy and cool, and I mean, there's a certain nerdiness to them. That's not—I don't mean that in a bad way, but it makes them real. Do you know what I'm saying? Because comedians don't ever present themselves as, "Hey, I'm fucking perfect. Look at me." Yeah, it's not—they're you know, not I'm, the sparkling, you know, god that's walking into the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's you can't be too good looking or too too much of an Adonis, right? You you know what I mean? Your flaws are the stuff that actually make you funny and make us embrace you. So they're all so like approachable and down to earth. I saw so many well-known comedians. Anyone's a fan of comedy, just sitting around the ice, uh, the, the the comedy store, just no big deal. No, I mean, no big deal. Like you could walk up and talk to them. Hey, what do you think about that fight or this and that? It, and it's very nice. And at rock clubs, no fucking way. There's no LA rock club where you know, at least a dude could go talk to the art, the act. Oh yeah, you know hell no. Yeah, <laughs> no way. That's not gonna happen. You're a chick and you look right. Okay, you're gonna do more than talk, but that's not gonna happen. I, and I've been to plenty of rock shows. Uh, yeah, but that's a beautiful thing too, and I like that because I don't want any bullshit in my social life. Fuck that. You know, you know what I mean. I, I really don't want someone to be. I won't tolerate it. Someone being rude to me or being a jerk to me. Yeah, I'm, just, I, it's I, I'm weird... not going to spend. I'm not going to give you my time or money at least. Yeah, it's an odd. It's an odd thing too because comedians and musicians have this very large overlap. Like they always say, like every musician wants to be a comedian, every comedian wants to be a musician, every actor wants to be a whatever. Like there's these overlaps that happen like really often. But like personality archetypes, it's like, I mean, I'm not saying all musicians are like this, but like there is there is that kind of. I don't know, I guess extra ego, like whatever that next step up on the ego ladder is. I'm, I'm speaking obviously in really broad terms. I mean, well-known selling musicians versus, oh, you know, they wouldn't, yeah. yeah, they, they wouldn't, maybe there's a point because the fans reaction, they cannot, but I would argue that, you know, if the fans not crazy, you know, you know, and it's a small club, but what, yeah, yeah. But it, they do act differently yet, you know, and some of them, are nowhere near as successful as some of these comedians. Like Joe Rogan, you would talk to about, hey, you know, how about that, uh, you know, how about GSP's knee? Fuck, that was a bitch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And as long as you're not asking a dumb question or you're not a dumb fanboy, or Joey Diaz, you would talk at length with, or all those cats. I haven't met one. Tom Segura, that are just fucking cool. 
you know, the one Death Squad, I told Jill Hamitsu this, uh, uh, the one Death Squad comic I have not seen live this year, and I've seen all the rest of them, is Duncan. Duncan Trussell's. I adore the guy. I think he's interesting. Um, I tune into the Joe Rogan Questions Everything show just to see Duncan because he makes me laugh. Uh, but he's the guy I think is is the one I want to see, and I, hopefully before the year's up, I'll see him at one of these shows. Oh yeah, he's as far as like that community, Duncan is my far and away favorite. Like I'm not uh, like for for this show for the Alex cast, like I don't go for um, you know celebrities for the most part. Like I just I feel like it's just it's so obviously like I'm just trying to get popular by getting famous people on the show, and it just it doesn't feel right. Duncan's the only guy I've ever gone after, and it's never worked. I've, I've never even gotten the right back to me. But I adore that man. It has nothing to do with his popularity. Like, I wish I had known about him when he wasn't popular, just so I could, like, lay out proof. Like, we we share a similar circuit. Like, I love his approach to religion, to ritual, mm -hmm. and he's funny. It's like, goddamn, I just want to talk to that dude. Like, if there was some way, like, that's it. Like, I don't, like, I don't give a fuck. Like, fuck, I'll, I'll, you want me to pretend I'm recording and I won't? Like, I just want to have a conversation with you, you know? And, uh, it's, you it's, gotta catch, yeah. I, you gotta, I, I think he's a super cool cat, too, because it's interesting in this whole Death Squad family. It, it, uh, many of these guys represent different characteristics, all very good and interesting. But, you know, you know, Joey is the older ex con benevolent uncle, right? Who's got lots of wisdom. He's a gangster. Yeah. I adore that about him because he's lived a very colorful life. Duncan is the, the Bodhisattva. You know, he's the enlightened one who's hanging around. He's a spiritual brother who's trying to say, hey, 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 there is another way to look at all this, man. You know? Yeah. And, and I just they, love that he's still searching and public about it, which is, that's not a lot of people do that. Like, not a lot of people are going to tell you, like, oh, that shit I was talking about a few months ago, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, he's so. It's, yes. just, it's a rare quality that you can just kind of admit to people what you're doing and admit it in an honest way. And I think the honesty is what kind of rings out uh, with is. some people and a lot of this community, you know? Absolutely. And, and whereas Joe may represent more of a material grounded, you know, approach of those three cats, you know, if, yeah. you, if each one represents Bert, you fucking crazy drunken uncle, fun as hell. You know, it, uh, oh yeah, Bird is it, just yeah, exactly that. Yeah, he's your he's, cool uncle. Yeah, he, he funny, funny comedy. It's a different. It's a it's barbarian comedy. Funny as hell. You know, it it's uh, demonstrative. He's funny. He's got great stories. I love him. But uh, but they all have different qualities, and I you know, and in some ways maybe exaggerated. You know, uh, um, but yeah, I do love Duncan, and his message is good. And the people, who, if I see someone follows Duncan Trussell, and they follow me, I'm following him back. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Immediately. Even if they have – you know what I'm hesitant is people who have gazillions of followers who want to follow me, and we have nothing in common. I won't – you know, I, I don't follow that person. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I'm not out I, – I, I can't – I'm not out to collect more followers that, have no, that we have no common interest in because I want to read and learn, and I don't want to hear about – you know. So yeah, that concerns me. If someone's got 50,000 followers and they're not a celebrity or something or a famous person. Well, that's always weird, and they usually – have an equal number of people they're following so they're doing that kind of just artificial inflation uh, of, of yeah. well check this out there's you know i was uh copied in a retweet which um got retweeted like many 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 times what i was able to discern from this is that two of the people in that that i was also following in that retweet of of, of a cluster of people um they had something in common with all these other people doing the retweeting, which was it appeared that they 
purchase followers, right? Because they had an enormous amount of followers based on their, I would say, their Twitter activity. And that, yeah, those purchased followers, I think, auto-retweet as well. I think that's part of the package you can purchase. Oh, okay. It, it, it's ridiculous. So, and, you know, maybe if you're pushing a product, maybe it'll make sense. But otherwise, I, it's just a, when the number is too big, I'm suspicious of it. Well, let me – know. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm just a suspicious, and I, I won't follow you back because I'm going to think you just – I've learned from enough times. I would rather see someone with four or five followers that also follows one of my friends. Gosh darn, you, you're immediately at my follow back. Oh, yeah, that's much I mean? much more uh, relevant for me is looking – you know, if someone's got, you know, oh, I've got 50 followers, you know, 10 followers. Like if if I know most of them, oh, fuck yeah. Like, dude, we probably – we're on it. It's odd we haven't met before. You know, it's just – it's one of those things like, oh, we just happened to have not been at the same party. Cool. Let's hang out. You know? Yeah. Oh, God, if I see three people, if they follow three of the same people I follow, uh, we're golden. Yeah. I know there's not going to be a problem and you're not going to mind my message. And hey, some people who we have common friends, some of my message, which isn't, you know, what I get out there isn't very radical. I mean, I, I talk about, you know, I speak for the seas. You know what I mean? I'm pro, I'm pro sea mammal and pro environment and uh, pro legal cannabis, but uh, I don't see anything too radical. But I've lost a few people um, that I liked, and maybe it's I've said the wrong thing. I'm like, oh, okay. That's happened to All me right. at some point. But, uh, you know, let me circle back here because I, I actually wrote it down on my little uh, cardboard flap that I keep in front of the computer. I think someone bought me followers, like, last week. So three days ago, I had, like, 500 and something followers around there. In the last three days, I've gotten, like, I don't want to look, but, like, another... Actually, I think I probably have it open, like double that amount, like out of nowhere. And I've clicked on a few of their names and they're all like, they they started their account. Yeah, I'm up to 1,382 right now. Whoa, that so, took me a long time to get that many. Do you well, know what I mean? Well, I mean, me, to be I mean, fair, I've been, I've been on Twitter since it started. I just never used it for the first few years. But mm -hmm. no, like literally I was at five something two days ago. Like something happened, either I got on a list or one of my idiot friends bought me followers and are going to tell me about it later. But right now I'm in this really weird thing where every time I open Twitter, I keep like right now it says Emily Pyatt and 159 other people followed you. <laughs> and if you click on Emily Pyatt, it's like she tweeted twice and she's got, you know, zero followers. It's this fucking weird shit. You know, if you're looking at it as your podcast as a product, right? Those are potential listeners. So it could be a value, you know? Well, I don't even know if they're real. Like, I don't know if these yeah, are real people or if it's, this is computer, uh, like, do you, yeah, I don't know how any of it were. Either way, I, I was just, I was really weirded out by it, by it. Um, there was an article on, I think, Boing Boing or one of the websites I read recently. And a lot of my friends read as well. And I, I have a list, probably about three or four people that I, I, I think are going to come giggling to me to tell me what they've done. But uh, it was just really odd to see this, like, kind of strange uh, fake inflation of my follower account showing up and it's like, all right, whatever. I'll think I'll take it. It makes me look better. <laughs> well, the thousands are respectable. You know, thousands are a respectable number. When I see 25,000 and you're not famous, I know you're just collecting a number. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And you're not using, see, Twitter for me is interaction. I, I, I try to read, you know, I'm not on it all day, but there are times I'm up really early in the morning. I like to see what Australia is doing in Europe. My friend's there. There's a certain timeline. My folks on the, my friends on the East Coast, I could do a little morning interaction, but I really do read their stuff, you know, because we most of us have common interests, either in humor or in athletics or in uh, the environment or maybe just good things or family, things like that. Uh, um, yeah, someone with 25,000, you're just going out to whatever, sell oh, yeah. your hat. 
say your hats or something. Well, that's or what I always try to do is like, I like the interaction. I like trying to say things I find amusing or interesting or whatever. And then I mix it up with, you know, whoring out the podcast or the book or that's whatever not, it is. That's not whoring out at all. You're an artist. You, you see, name an artist you respect. Any artist, do you know what I mean? Any writer, you know, if, what, an American writer, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, they all got paid for their art, yeah. right? And they promoted their art. And, and you know, listen, I, I had to leave kind of a certain line of work to go in kind of business world, right? It was difficult at first for me ethically, but I, because I, I thought there was something wrong about it, right? Okay, something felt dirty about it. But I've realized if you're very ethical in what you do, and if for like what I do, I for what you do for your efforts, you deserve to be compensated like any other artist. You know, a jingle plays on the radio, someone's getting paid. Okay, you know, you know yeah. what I'm saying. So you deserve that. And any degree of even subtle marketing is there's nothing wrong. You're putting out a product. Okay, you don't have a team behind you. You don't have Capital Records right behind you, saying, okay, we have a marketing machine. No. And most let me hey ludicrous it almost any artists i mean many artists start from the streets with their cassette tapes in their trunk right yeah they have to do it so being a little i don't think that doesn't mean you're getting dirty or anything it's being a little bit not even being an entrepreneur you're saying i have created this and as an artist artists deserve to eat off the product they have created you don't have a team you don't have a pr person or a publicist you're unfortunately it falls on you don't don't it's not getting your hands dirty you're just getting out a message yeah, I mean uh, that's the way I'm I. That's the way I try to approach it. Sorry to cut you off. I oh. the timing on Skype, I still haven't gotten used to. Um, <laughs> the uh, that's the way I approach it. But there's certain um, not that I take it too seriously, but like it wasn't too comfortable in the first place trying to, you know, uh, advertise my wares or whatever. Like when I, I did the podcast for like a year before I even really told anybody about it. Like it was just you know just art for art's sake. But then uh, you know occasionally have people like complain about you know uh, spamming their timeline or something like that, and. It's just one of these one of these deals of uh, oh I shouldn't I talk about this too much. Uh, long story short, uh, no one complains when there's too many baby pictures. Where that took you one night place nine months. You know I I took three years to write a book. I think you can give me some leeway. You know. Oh no, <laughs> like I'm not saying it's a baby, but you get yeah, that. No, I read the point. Tweets. Yeah, we, we barely marketed that book. It got out there enough, and you know some of our friends. I know Pat in Germany took a look at it, or gives you know I know people that I know, you know circulated and stuff no i barely saw it i know people who you know who overdo it and uh, but if they're overdoing it all i look at it is okay they're making an effort to do it you know i think if you're going to market something try to be clever about it and if you're clever about it it doesn't matter if it comes often if each one's original do you know what i mean yeah i think me as the reader because we have this see these twitter is like it's a haiku format we only have so much space to get something done and if you want to retweet, you got to leave 15 characters free. So it's minus 15 if you want to compose something good. So it's very interesting what can be done and how you can move words around. So if you're promoting your product, or like I like to promote friends' podcasts when I have the free time. And I, hopefully I could do it in an interesting way, you know, or in a way maybe that gets their attention. Just, and that's having fun with words. And for me, it's like sometimes Twitter, I could do, I'm not, if I'm marketing my friend stuff, it's not whoring out. I'm having fun with it. You know, it's like after I do your cast, like every every time I do someone's cast, I'll find a few clever different ways to retweet it. So the people who follow me and get my voice and then know, whoa, maybe they don't know about you. 
now they know Waterboxer's voice and they like me because we interact a couple times a week or every day. They're going to hear your thing because if I'm on someone's podcast, that means I'm a listener and they're my friend. You know, so I'll get it out, but I'll try to be funny about it. If yeah. you know what I mean, or that's, clever. I think that's or, the way to do it. My my kind of rule of thumb is not a rule of thumb. I try not to make rules for myself, but I try to keep it like five original. I tried to create something tweets. Mm-hmm. I get to buy myself one ad tweet. So, you know, all right, I need to do at least five. I'm trying to come up with something silly, a dumb joke or an interesting <laughs> link or something along those lines. I get five of those out. All right, I've paid the universe now. Okay, please listen to episode, you oh, know, God. 118 or, or you know, for the love of God, buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, Old American Kickboxing. Um, old American Kickboxing, it's not Muay Thai. You couldn't kick the legs. So the guys would have to throw 15 kicks around and then they throw punches. In other words, you did your 15 kicks, you know, okay, now I'm going to, because all fights were finished with punches, almost 99% of all fights in American kickboxing in that era. Oh, so you, you couldn't kick the legs at all? No, not in huh. this, not in quote American kickboxing. This was stuff, this was big, like in the seventies. Oh, okay. It was kind of funny if you see it by today's standards. And if you see one of the fights, the guys wear long pants and like karate pants that are shiny and they both know they're going to finish it with their fists. So they throw these silly kicks out to the guys, whatever, maybe his, maybe his ribs, they just throw them out there to expend their 15 kicks so they could throw, start, start throwing punches. Oh, that's wow. What you, that's, that's kind of what you did. You throw out five, yeah. you know, five, uh, <laughs> five happy fun lines and then throw out your marketing thing. I, I, Hey, I think if you do it a few times, you know, or like Dale Bond will do it one for like the, your methods of distribution, right? If you do one on Stitcher, you do it on, you're on Stitcher. I know that. And you're on iTunes. I don't know what else you're on though. Cause I only listen to you through those. But you could do one for each one of those just because that makes sense because we have, you know, we have different, you know, we, at least for the Android and Apple users, you got them both covered. Yeah, that's usually, the, I mean, that's what I try to do. I, you yeah. know, I usually just, I pretty much just tweet out twice, you know, once for the, you know, just once with it, my website and then iTunes and then I do the same one again. Either way, I didn't mean to start talking about that. Sorry. No, but I just, you, yeah. know what I've, you know, it got me into Twitter. So I've been on Twitter on a business side for a while. But on this side, I've had an account, but it's been fun to get more active. But one thing to think about too, if you're trying to promote a product, is is uh, not just timeline, but the timeline of your followers. In other words, some people, because you like, I have international folks. The stuff I could say in the morning, sometimes I could even say it again in eight hours because it's a whole different audience. I've thought about that before. Yeah, it's absolutely, <laughs> dude. It's absolutely. I, I actually, if it's if I have a very clever picture. And if I tweet it out at, say, 4 in the morning, I'm going to go – if I think it's funny enough and I got a good response, I'm going to go do that again maybe in, in – in, I'm going to do this in six hours because there's going to be a new stream of people who are on because people are on different shifts. Some people like East Coast folks, I know their lunchtime because <laughs> yeah. that's when you – know, that's something to think about too. You know, I learned that from like business too is when are, you know, when are the fish biting kind of thing. Yeah, I was you know. thinking about that because I have uh, I have these weird inexplicable pockets, and I've had it since I started the show, uh, years ago when I started it. And for some reason, there's like there's like I'm beloved in England, Australia, and then like one only one part of Australia for some reason. Like there's just these weird pockets that end up listening to me. I don't know how it works, and I think Twitter kind of fell the same way where it's like Twitter people. Like I have a lot of friends in London for some reason. I mean, it's just, that's the sensibility, but it's, it's occurred to me. I'm like, Oh man, maybe I should like, since I'm friends with so many of them, maybe I should just try to tweet and like figure out what time of night they're awake and then, you know, Dude, stick to the area yeah. or mix it up. Uh, whatever their timeline of your, 
you know, your followers is. Yeah. You'd be like, say, if you were to adjust it to what you think their feeding time is or consuming time, for me, it's consuming time. It's when I have time to go look at it and see what's up or I have something to say. Um, but I will tell you, you will see if you have put something good out there and you don't get any favorites or any retweets, you know, put it out again in four hours. See if it, uh, see if you got people feeding or find the right times. I have found though, there's certain like windows, like my friends in Europe and Australia, there's a certain time in the morning where they're active and I am on the West coast, but I wake up at the crack of fuck just cause I've, you know, I've got, uh, interesting work habits. So I wake up really early. So I'll be conscious at three 30 or four, um, tweeting and doing some work before I go on a run. And I love talking to those folks. Cleo, I don't, do you talk to Cleo? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My girl, that covers you know. And then my boy, you know, I've got a gang of friends in Germany. It, uh, Constantine, Pat, and Luke. I don't know his name, but uh, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, and then all my boys in Australia, and then you know, and then Desquad London, Desquad Bristol, Dale Bond. You know, all those guys. I love. That's like my morning crew where I can interact with those guys. Then I could go do some stuff. Then I could work for a little while. Then about 9 a.m., East Coast folks are at lunch. <laughs> so, so they're actually, if you were to be marketing a product and you want, I would say they're, your intuition would probably find the right times when the, you know, the fish are consuming. But there are a few times in a day where it is more, more, there are more viewers to interact with than others. Yeah, it's super um, interesting. There's, this is, I, I love this stuff on, on a fundamental level. And it's always, you know, I hear people, insult ad people which doesn't never made sense to me i think it's kind of a interesting sort of art but um i'm if there's one thing i'm terrible at it's this is like 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 you made the point of but you know intuition well no not for me like i'm pretty smart on a lot of stuff like maybe not a lot of stuff but on a few things i'm pretty bright but like oh my god am i drooling idiocy when it comes to any form of advertising smarts or this sort of thing where like you know, picking up on the trend of that. Oh God, forget about it. And then forget about starting like a spreadsheet or something. Fuck that. Like, that's, Let's see. That's yeah. the boring stuff. You know, and uh, a lot of that stuff is. But some of the stuff, a lot of stuff, the way advertising is done and marketing is done. It, a lot of it, if you have an appreciation for psychology. Hell yeah, that's you know, uh, and that, how uh, uh, neuro linguistic programming. It's, I think it's one of the most fascinating things on the planet, and I think everybody should know about it and be hip to it. But not a lot. Well, I don't know if a lot of people are, but I'm pretty sure all advertising people are aware of what they're doing with that. There's an order to place things, and there's a way to um, to suggest to the subconscious. Yeah, and you know what I mean. And there, it just is. Some people study it and break it down, and some people have a good intuition for it too. Um, maybe from just experience, it's like if I structure it like this, I get this response. Interesting. If I structure it like that, I get no response. Oh, absolutely. Okay. But if you yeah. looked at, like, if you work that way and just, you know, take like the, of your years of experience, you know, you take that knowledge and then look at like neuro, neuro linguistic programming, like just the, you know, the basics of it, not the basics, but like, you'll find that like, you've kind of intuited what they yeah. spent years, you know, building the system around where not building a system that sounds like, you know, evil, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there is like a, a, a psychology behind it. It's really, really interesting the way that words can be used and combinations of words can be used to kind of impress that third word that wasn't said, you know, very, very cool stuff. I've got neuro linguistics. Okay. I'll yeah. And it's called, it's referred to as NLP neuro, neuro linguistic programming. The, the entire concept is it's, but you'd be so familiar with it. You know, it's, 
looking somebody in the eyes while making a motion with your left hand, saying two words that the combination thereof implies a third word. So, you know, if you're, if you're saying like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, on the icy mountains of the salt, blah, 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 blah. And you've just kind of pushed the idea of margarita in someone's head while not using the term, you know? It, it's... Uh, abs- well, you know, in my bachelor days, I learned a lot about the power of language and imageries when I, um, I'm happily married to a lovely woman. So this is a different period in my life. Um, how words and images can be very powerful when trying to entice the opposite sex when all you have are pictures and words, right? Um, that's a very interesting area, arena. To, it is all, you know, things I probably learned from business too, but it's very interesting to see how that worked. I'm not, I don't really want to talk about it necessarily, but it was very interesting to see how words would work and how imagery would work on all sorts of people, you know? Yeah. Um, that's it, that's it, the uh, overlap. It sounds manipulative yeah. now that I hear it, but, but it really wasn't. It was like, cause I got the woman I loved. So but with it, no manipulation or anything, but, uh, uh, but it, 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 when you're only communicating like that, and what's interesting in, in uh, Twitter is there's for me I have no end game I'm not trying to meet someone or go out with them I'm just trying to interact and be social and I love that there is no bottom line I'm not selling a product you know other than a message of one love maybe and comedy and you know train by day I really do believe in that man <laughs> I really do believe that every human should incorporate movement into their daily life it's the key to happiness call it moving meditation you know, you can, every, you find that it will help you along the path to happiness. Just, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not nearly as, as devoted as you are, but, uh, I do walk quite a bit, you know, I don't own a car. So I, I, be- I, I think that's yeah. so cool. I put like a ton of, you know, a ton of miles you know, I, I burn through shoes in a month. Like, you know, I walk a lot. So I think it's badass. I think I, it's badass. But I noticed that if I don't like, if I, if I'm being lazy or whatever, there is a, there is a definite body change. Now, when I was working out, like not a lot to probably yours or any workout person standards, but quite a bit more than just walking, I didn't notice an increase past the, basically what I'm saying is for the people that don't do any exercise, that first boost of just doing a little bit, like just walking a bit, man, that's a lot. Like it actually does change your body a shitload. See, you know? I'm advocated 10 to 20 minutes. Everyone doesn't, you know, and I think what intimidates people is, oh God, if I do this, it's gotta be 45 minutes. No, no. If you're just moving your body, I just every day it doesn't have to i think just find something that works it's not you know it's not always running or surfing or boxing or yoga just anything you know so the fact that you're walking every day is beautiful you're using the machine you're exercising it and you're you're circulating the blood and that's good for your mind because it allows the mind to relax too that's the real benefit i get from exercising um is my 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 i'm relaxed in a lot of ways you know what I mean? I'm calm about a lot of things. Yeah, it and, does. It is a whole body kind of effect, which is super interesting. Like I come from, you know, I'm, I'm a, if you listen to the show, I'm sure you've heard me reference it, but I'm super depressed, bipolar weirdo, you know, I got unnatural SSRIs all running through me, but it mm-hmm. does help like the, that, that workout stuff. Like I, I'm saying this is someone that's tried it both ways. So audience mm-hmm. at home, like I'm telling you this kind of, it sounds really simple and doesn't sound like it would work. No, really like walk like a mile. It's, it's, it's not that long and man, you're, like you're a little clearer, you're a little more like it's it's there for you, you know. It's it is an openness. Same as you know, meditation is it's the it's easiest cool. thing in the world. Just you gotta oh, you have to sit down and shut up for a bit. Like it's it's the easiest thing in the world that it really does like make your life a lot easier, you know. 
Meditation is very challenging. You know, when I first got into it, uh, I got divorced uh, and I had this kid. I had I raised my son for my, you know, 15 years, right? Now he's a college student, super cool. But uh, I was very like, felt horrible. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, I've just failed, right? Everything. And my mind needed calming. And uh, through Chinese martial arts, I got into like the internal stuff and that got me into standing and seated meditation and at first especially the first 90 days maybe the first 30 days trying to calm down the noise in my head and just sit there and breathe was such a challenge even for a few few seconds uh and it wasn't until over time where uh, you know that discipline got a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier until seconds became kind of minutes right and then the minutes could kind of go on and on, and you can kind of feel what the real benefit is, which is completely calming the mind. You know, in the Chinese, I call it Wu Wei, which is like empty mind. Very difficult to do because we have so much stimuli around us. So your environment has to be super fucking chill. Can't oh, yeah. have any interruptions. But the internal discipline of doing it, I will tell you, at first it was probably harder than training for a marathon. You know, because it did take, it was all internal. It was all here. You couldn't see it, right? But what I found is during a very difficult period of my life, it was very healing and it helped me kind of organize when it, it helped me feel more calm and organized. You know, my nervous system was just fucking jumping all over the place. You know, I, uh, and so, so it can be good, but it's not easy. It's not an easy path. You see, know, what's interesting about that is like you got there, like I've been meditating for years and I've never gotten for, you know, they use that phrase, you know, the monkey chatter. Mine's never shut off, never learned how to meditate to that, to that degree, but it's so helpful for me to sit down and, you know, not do anything and observe the monkey chatter, you know, just, you know, that observation meditation of just going, oh, my mind's doing this. This is odd. Uh, well, let's see if we can't shut this down. And just the observation of it gives you this very good perspective of, well, you know, you can't be, well, it's not that you can't be, but why are you frustrated or anxious or whatever? Or now that you're sitting down and calm, you're you're observing the chatter. Well, how could you possibly be expected to think clearly with that chatter? So it's like, okay, well now I can know how to almost turn it off on a daily basis. So I found myself like, oh, I'm not frustrated today. Like when someone's talking to me about idiot things, because I'm aware of that. Like they're not bothering me. It's I have this chatter going on. I'm just not paying attention to it because I'm upright with my eyes open. That's super yeah. helpful, even though it's not. But we're getting yeah. close. You're getting close. And, you know, I don't know if you've had any guides or any, you know, whatever, Kung Fu Grandmasters or something, uh, focusing just on that breath, that, you know, lower diaphragmatic breathing. And, you know, when all you're thinking about is just breathing, there is a point where all you're going to be thinking about is breathing. Now, remember, breathing is part of the autonomic nervous system, right? You're not supposed to think about that shit. Okay, you get the right person or the right guide or whatever and get you in there like I've had, you know, and I actually this was part of the component of Chinese martial arts, internal martial arts that I studied. So I it continued for many years. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. did five straight years of that was one serious element of the training, which a lot of these MMA cats don't do. And it's a shame because that aspect is very important because it builds um, a better person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It builds better character and it builds a better spirit and also builds discipline. Um, maybe not the kind you could always see because it doesn't have veins on it or anything, but uh, it uh, it's a good thing. 
it's a good thing. But yeah, once you're in deep and all you're doing is breathing in through the nose and you're just thinking about that lower diaphragmatic breathing and thinking about where your dantian is and getting in deep right there. There is, I think you couldn't, can get there. I have hope for you. I really do. Yeah. I, I mean, really I, do. it's not that I don't get there. I just, it's not the, the, the way you're describing it, uh, you know, the, the place you get to, oh, I'm not there at all, you know, but I, it's an incredible shift from my normal mode of being yeah. where, you know, I've, I've not, and I think it's a positive, but there's this phrase of uh, uh, hypervigilance disorder. And sure. now fuck the word disorder. Cause I think it's a gift of, I know what's going on. My left, my right, my back. I can predict the actions of the people around me so I can walk quickly through crowds. I think it's kind of my superpower. However, that is about the most anti-meditation superpower a motherfucker could have. Like you could have, you know, uh, mousetraps snapping in your fingers would be less distracting than that. So it, just to get to the monkey babble, just to think about breathing yeah. for a second. Yeah, yeah. I'm, dude, I'm good. You know, that's seven layers down just to get to that. I'm all right. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I have a hypervigilance disorder, but if I'm out, my wife will tell you this. If we're out driving around the streets, I can tell you who is a criminal, when the cops are going to show up. I, I can kind of, it's not a sixth sense, but I can observe a situation and say, okay, that's shady. Watch, there's going to be a drug transaction or watch. You're going to see this cop follow, pull, you know, pull over this person or watch. There's going to be a cop one second pulling this guy over. And I, maybe that's from years of driving on the streets here too. I know how everyone acts. I know who the bad people are and the good people, but I, but I got real good intuition about these things. So that's part of it. Yeah. You know, and that's what they call it. Hyper rich. I think yeah. it's, it's nonsense, but that thing of, and just not a lot of people have it. So I think it doesn't like. I mean, back when I was a car driver, like if someone just said like, Hey, what's two cars behind us? I'd be like, Oh, the, you know, the white civic or whatever. Like, not that I know the name of cars. So I wouldn't say civic, but it'd be like the white car. Cause I look at the mirrors while I'm driving and make sure like I'm aware of my surroundings. Coincidentally enough, never been in an accident. It's weird how that works, but you know, the hyper awareness, but apparently this is a, uh, nowadays, this is diagnosed as uh, some kind of problem, but I, I think it's uh, kind of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, you know what, dude, human beings are very different. And that's what makes us interesting, you know, and that's just that. That's just my take on diversity, you know, whether it's in people's colors or personalities um, that just, you know, there's, there's a different way to feel, but it, there's a reason for that, you know, for the greater good, I think, you know, why people feel differently, you know, sometimes artists are more sensitive than the rest of humanity, you know, sometimes they feel things greater, more intensely, but from that comes great art you know, um, and hopefully not great pain, you know, and hopefully not a, a Van Gogh ending. But, but often, I mean, why are so many artists plagued with drug addiction and other illnesses, right? Or other things that are quote diagnosed as illnesses. It, uh, I, through my life, I would argue, and I'm a fan of all sorts of art. I, I think hypersensitivity, I think they feel that's how they're able to express with such a, you know, intimacy and accuracy. Um, is because they're, uh, what I call them, and I've learned this from some Eastern stuff, is they're sympathetic nerves inside. Uh, they vibrate stronger. You know, the sitar, if you look at a sitar, it's got strings, and beneath those strings are fine little strings called sympathetic strings, right? And when you hit one note on the major string, the sympathetic strings vibrate back, right? So that, you know, Duncan may have talked about this before. I don't think he has, but... Uh, that I think artists have their sympathetic strings um, are more sensitive and keen. So from that comes great art and the desire to create art, right? 
but along with that come other consequences. Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. I, I actually derive my own metaphor for that, and this is much better. I refer to it as uh, living with an exposed nerve. Of, I for years I, I turned myself into a fucking villain. Uh, again, I've talked about this to death, but like I was just a jerk because, and I didn't. I thought I hated everybody, and then just one day it occurred to me. It's like, oh no, if I pay attention to them, like all their emotions go into me, and and I can't. Like I just I wasn't strong enough, and I was like, oh, that's it, you know. And that's that's a great metaphor. The 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 sitar string, like, oh yeah, that's that's it. Like that's that's that action, and I know that's like the root of not problems, probably good things too, but that's in me, that sympathetic string. Like that's, that's check, a very good a way to put it. it. You'll yeah. see the, what I'm describing because it'll help, it'll help uh, illustrate my point. But it, yeah, um, it's a really, I found yeah, it's a really good analogy. And listen, you know, spending a chunk of my life listening to people, you know, not talking as much as I listen. Um, I talk a lot on podcasts, mind you. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Oh God, no, I appreciate it muchly. <laughs> no, it's, hey man, it's, you're like a friend. I know you from, uh, I've listened to you for a period of time for whatever, six or seven months. I don't know how long. And I follow, you know, we interact on Twitter. So it's like, I'm talking to a, a bro, you know, we're, uh, at, um, you know, we're not talking about lifting weights and that kind of bro frat boy stuff. We're talking about the stuff I like to talk about, which is, you know, humanity and hum like why Twitter interests me because I can interact with all sorts of people who probably on the street you probably think I was a dick or something. You know what I mean? Or you say a guy like Waterboxer doesn't want to fucking talk to me or we'd have nothing in common. He looks like a fucking surf rat, right? And that's a shame sometimes because sometimes that the stereotypes go other ways. You know what I'm saying? Like this where we can that's, – that's the great thing about this is those barriers are broken. Oh, you know, absolutely. You, you yeah. know what I'm like saying? If I – whatever. I was like visiting Oregon. I might walk by you. There's no way in – oh, you'd probably say, why in the world will I talk to that dude? You know, driving by in a car as I walk. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, that's what I mean. And uh, are all those folks these Esquad shows? I wouldn't normally, uh, you know, we wouldn't. And maybe for a lot of other reasons, the geography and other things, or maybe sometimes people say, oh, I see that cat. I don't like that motherfucker. Yeah. It's... Just because that's our own, that's in their head. And, you know. Yeah. And those layered associations are there. Like, I've had friends were shocked to find out, like, I've been watching the UFC since before Dana bought it. Like, I, I've loved yeah. fighting for a long, like I used to go to Hollywood video and rent like the, the best of Ken Shamrock. Like yeah. I love Like I love fight. I think it's fucking awesome. But like I have friends that are shocked. Cause like I'm a, I'm a really like, I don't get angry that often vegetarian. Like I don't, I, I'm really peaceable. Like it, it, I don't really like yelling. Like I'm really like, no, no one would peg me at it, but like, no, I love UFC. Like it's really like, I watch. I try to watch every pay-per-view. Like, oh, yeah, because, yeah. but if you saw me, you would never go, oh, that's a UFC fan. Cause, but that really great shorthand that we have, you know, that Twitter thing where it's like, oh, we don't have to deal with that initial, like, well, this guy's this way, this guy's this way. You'd never, you know, between the two won't meet. It comes down to like, oh, wait a second. These are really expedient. Death Squad. Let's find out which which side of it. Hey, all of it. Okay, good. Let's. Okay, now we got it. Yeah. yeah if someone, <laughs> hey, if you got someone who's all of it, who actually, yeah. Uh, you see, but think of the samurai, the samurai, harmony of pen and sword. Right. There's something about combat that is quite interesting. Right. It wasn't just Ernest Hemingway who wrote about combat and why it's interesting to humans. It just is. Right. Whether you study martial arts or not, if if you have, you have a different kind of understanding, like if you're a musician who played an instrument and you listen, but it doesn't change the quality of the experience. Uh, and it is quite interesting. And I do think it's quite artful because uh, it's quite spontaneous. It's risky. 
uh, it could be quite spectacular. Uh, and it's funny, I don't follow many other sports anymore. That's all I follow is, you know, that that's, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I follow MMA and very, you know, little bit of other sports. I kind of pay attention if someone's tweeted, but I don't even watch anything anymore. You know, I, uh, we've done this experiment. Yeah, I know you're a walker. You gave up the car. When my son left for college over a year ago. We, uh, we sold big house and moved to a little smaller house and never connected an antenna or cable or, uh, or a dish. And now we're like going on a, you know, um, well over a year and it's no big deal. I'm better informed. Um, what I've noticed in folks that have that thing going on, like you go by your parents' house, they got the news running all the time. That drone of whatever station it may be playing that same negative story that I read at four 30 or five in the morning again and again, we're going to repeat it again and again all day. I will argue that can be just like playing very sad music over and over again. And I think for some people that can bring them down, it's a sad melody. You know what I mean? It's the end. Yeah. It's the end. Now the facts alone may not bring you down. You have to look at it, weigh them out. And I think through the internet, I get any video content I really desire as well as I can read my news rather than have it read to me and drone to me. I'd rather read the facts first thing in the morning and let them re-report it because in most cases uh what's reported on a on the ap in the early morning that's what's going to be read on the news most of the day you know that's that's the you know the table's been set for most of the news and then something else happens so there's a crazy shooting or something um yeah but it's an interesting experiment if you've ever tried it um, oh yeah no, sure. I, haven't, I haven't had a tv in uh, five six years isn't it beautiful um, yeah it, i mean well, i shouldn't say i just got a tv but it's not connected to anything i found yeah. out that I can plug my TV into my computer. Precisely. And that's exactly, that's exactly what we Yeah, I, I didn't really know. I mean, I knew that existed. I thought it was expensive, though. And I found out, oh, no, you can just buy what, in my, in what, in everybody else's mind, is a shitty old TV. To me, is the best piece of technology I've ever owned, you know? So uh, I do have one now, but it's purely for, you know, Netflix and that sort of thing, which I guess kind of like TV, but I don't... It's, it's just video entertainment. I look at it yeah. as video entertainment because I'm not being forced commercials. Uh, I'm not being forced to any of that, and the temptation of putting on – not like I had the temptation of putting on the news, uh, It, uh, but, you, I, but you just don't need it. That's what I tell people. Like probably you know, most people don't need too much meat or any meat. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need it, and I, I think it causes – it may entertain some folks, but I do think in cases of crisis sometimes it does less to inform and more to stir up people's emotions. Um, but perhaps, you know, one thing to look at it is maybe that's what they're looking for. You know what I mean? It's like folks who are in traumatic relationships that are always arguing. Maybe that's what they fucking like. You know, perhaps that's what they like, but I, I recommend against it. <laughs> yeah. My thing is the avoidance of the, and this is something I fell for when I was younger, you know, when I was a kid and still, you know, I lived with my parents and had television is the, okay, I've walked into my room, I turned the TV on and the habitual background radiant noise and the channel flipping where it's it's not even like you're being because tv can be cool like it is some kind of art like there is i'm sure there's probably good shows on there somewhere but when you're just kind of mindlessly like hey i've gotten home therefore i turn on tv therefore i flip through until i find something vaguely that's bad like that almost mm -hmm. kills like two sides of your brain like it, it kills like your interest lobe you know and it kills your your relaxation side where it's like well i'm not actually taking in any information all i'm doing is moving a thumb and the flickering lights but i'm not relaxed because i'm annoyed 
at the, you know, it's just not, it is not a healthy, maybe it's healthy to some people, but for me, I could, I was not a healthy relationship I had with my television it's, many years ago. <laughs> it's, hard, it's very difficult to sleep. It does stim the, the brain. The light alone stim stimulates uh, part of the brain that just keeps you awake. And, uh, uh, you know, I just say, yeah, those who have TV, and I hear a lot of folks complaining about this and that, just like, well, yeah, do the experiment. Cut the cable. Go a month. Go a year. Go a few years. Go five years, whatever. It, uh, it really doesn't matter. I, Dude, I don't miss anything. I didn't watch much on TV anyways. We... Uh, quite honest i watched ufc which i watch now <laughs> okay you know through uh you know various means yeah yeah completely and, legal and means on the internet gotcha absolutely yeah. that's how i watch them too yeah absolutely i pay the money absolutely. every time downloading yeah. is illegal remember that that's what exactly and there's nothing i would ever do than break laws that's no, you know no. rule number one in my life is that if authority tells me something i'm going to follow it to the letter. absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. I, I speak for the corporations of America, but I hear streaming itself is not, it is legal because you're not actually putting anything on your computer. But I, you know, that's, uh, but I hear they're trying to change that law. But, um, but yeah, but I see, I think things can be, you could be a totally chilled out, cool arts cat, artist cat and still love fucking violence. I mean, violence, controlled violence in the ring. This isn't, and this is, I wouldn't even call this violence because this is competition of skilled individuals. I'm not into violence. Do you know what I mean? Violence is something you use to defend your family when it's absolutely necessary or yourself, and there's no other reason for it. It's abhorrent. You know, it's a it's an ugly, dirty thing that if you have to utilize it, you only do when you absolutely need to. You know, that's a. Um, but uh, but yeah, when it's in a controlled environment with two athletes that choose to be there, they yeah, dogs. I hundred percent agree. Yeah, like if 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 I saw um you know uh John Jones punch one punch some guy at a bar i would be disgusted Absolutely. with i wouldn't want to see that that's like oh my god what the fuck are you doing that's the word like don't be a person we've evolved you don't do that however that same level of punch while in a ring against an opponent that is trained to dodge and or react to it fuck yeah i want to watch that like that's awesome you know that's that's human ability taken to the like the utmost that's that's interesting and it's not and violence. It's, it's skill set. It's, it's yeah. skill, exactly. And that is a place for it. And uh, most of the cats I know that train, even the guys that are really, really good and professional, the most chilled out, mellow guys that don't have anything to prove. You know, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Oh the yeah. Guy, it's a hundred percent of the time, actually. Never dicks. Always cool. No, you know. And I will tell you one thing: a lot of folks don't know is, I will say almost every guy who's been drawn into martial arts was picked on and bullied, right? They may, you know, they may have been the small kid or the awkward kid or whatever. A lot of folks don't, you know, they see them now. The professional fighters, even these guys are just training now. There was a time when they were fucked with, yeah. you know, and they were fucked with. And um, most of them remember it, you know, because most dojos or gyms, you're going to find there's a lot of guys who were picked on and they found a home. There's an interesting dynamic that exists because it becomes a little family environment where the leader of that gym or dojo ends up being kind of a father figure. And he, they, I've seen it over many years. I've trained in many gyms over many years, and it becomes a really kind of a nice dynamic because a lot of these boys don't have fathers or young men or even older men. They're looking for some direction. It becomes uh, uh, you know, a nice dynamic in many ways, but it doesn't last forever because uh, at first people idolize that leader or that coach or that master. But because that person's a human, after time, after three to five years, people start to recognize that person is human, you know, or they lose their interest or both things yeah. happen. Um, it, uh, most 
I would probably say the most sinister case. I don't know if I want to say. I have to say sinister. There was a school in Los Angeles, a Chinese martial arts school, which was the curriculum was interesting. It uh, was challenging, um, and I'd done it for a long time. And there came a point where um, the grandmaster stopped teaching me. Yet he started promoting people who came much later than me, weren't but were, that weren't better than me, and over year and a half I kind of watched and then I realized there was a profile he would only promote brown haired brown eyed super thin boys about 22 uh. <laughs> then later I came to find after I kind of checked around some folks in the local community and some students that had quit I found out this dude was he wasn't illegal but he was kind of a chicken hawk he would find attractive over 18 impressionable, vulnerable young men, unfortunately, oh, that, yeah. that maybe did not have tendencies to hang out with men. He'd invite them over his house and teach them some private lessons. And the guy was quite honest. I don't want to say too much to reveal the guy's name, but the guy had a couple PhDs. He was well-respected, published, and an accomplished martial, martial artist, right? Which is really tragic because he had this position of authority where he could have really helped him be benevolent, but the real lesson is this is just a man. That's why I walked why I walked away from it was, wow, this is just another man. But yeah, he used it. I come to find because I the, that like younger students that come and you know you can only just jump to the conclusions you can. You know the dude was a freaking chicken hawk, and he would lure in young impressionable over eighteen boys into his you know private circle and you know whatever happened happened you know. But it got to be like it got to be the point where it was like, wow, this is just as a, as a father, and even though hey, these kids are over eighteen, and you're manipulating them with your power, your position, you know? Yeah, I it mean that's the danger of any any position anything. like that, like teaching or so you say, like uh, like the church where you know people, it's so easy to make fun of Catholic priests. Like I, I was raised Catholic, you know, I got all the guilt or whatever, but it's so easy to make fun of them. But you have to like you don't have to remember. I don't mean to say have to like somebody. I'm giving them orders, but um. It's best to remember they devoted, you know, eight, seven, eight years going to college and seminary school and like under like these are well trained. I mean, they're the doctors of their profession. I mean, these are like your your martial artist guy, like multiple doctorate wrote books. Like these are people that studied hard. Like it's not like they just went in there to be villainous. Like oh, you know, it'd be a great idea. I'll devote twenty five years of my life to one thing so I can bang a couple, you know, young men. It doesn't work that way. It's just that in a position of power, you know, people with weird tendencies or interesting mm -hmm. tendencies and, I mean, frankly, you know, weak, I don't want to say weak mind, but weak, the the, the fight against their urges uh, has become weak over the years and that, that kind of horrible shit happens, but. Yeah, it happens it's everywhere. It's hap kind of bad. It happens yeah. with some teachers. happens with some coaches. It, ha it just happens. Yeah. It, it uh, And, you know, whenever I've instructed people, whether it's a teacher t teaching academic stuff or when I've uh, taught martial arts and stuff like that, my boundaries have been so clear, you know, crystal clear because you're in a – for me, you're in teacher mode, right? And probably because I also, too, I worked my way through college working in psychiatric hospitals where boundaries are very – particular you know it's kind of like ken kesey's life i later found out but you um but you set you know you you have to separate your boundaries from your personal life and this and that and i think it's very important um yeah man wow
Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's um, that's a fucking journey. Um, that's isn't that heavy. Yeah, I've never <laughs> told that story. I don't think ever on record on a podcast. Isn't that heavy though? But I will tell you, and I'm being a member of many gyms. Uh, well, for me, it's just a lesson in men are flawed, and be very, you know, never whether it's John Jones who wrecked a Bentley with two women who were not his fiance in it, or Joe Rogan, or whomever, or Barack Obama. D- human beings are going to be flawed. That's all, you know, that's all the way I just, I, that was my lesson I took away from it too. Not just folks use, using the power. Um, but human beings just because their very nature are going to be flawed. Don't expect, you know, don't be surprised when you see the flaws come out. Yeah, no, that, exactly. That's, yeah. The, that's kind of my lesson is don't be surprised. And that for me, it was my lesson. It's like, okay, now these maybe you know, maybe that's kind of like the big chill of growing up. You get some of these lessons and I don't think you become jaded, but, you become a good read of character and also too, you make your boundaries really clear, whether it's with people you're in, you know, people you're teaching, God damn it. You know, you're supposed to be there to help. This is the thing. Let me tell you in the time where I was, I took care of people. I ran group homes and I worked in psychiatric hospitals all through um, college. I was nice to people. I never hurt kids. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was, I was like, they were damaged kids and I was there to help them. I was there to take them to the next level, you know, or, you know, and, it never entered my mind. I'm not fucked up that way, though. You well, know? that's the thing. Is that I'm yeah. just not fucked up that way? That's not you know. There was nothing. It uh, it. But those are. But I will tell you, everyone. It's so easy to indict the Catholic Church. Okay, I have actually a profound respect for faith, right? Because belief is very powerful. My wife, practicing Catholic, faith is so powerful to her, right? And when I see a lot of these nasty comments, oh, we're going to generalize the entire Catholic Church, and we're going to say something snotty about you know, pedophile priests. Ha ha ha. Okay. First, it's not very clever and it's an easy joke, right? Second, there are plenty of really good, kind, faithful folks out there that this really helps. them. Okay. And if you look throughout human history, okay, there is always, just like there's always homosexuality, there's always religion. Okay. Faith or spirituality exists in every culture. Human beings, many human beings require this. It gives them hope. It gives them comfort. It's the intangible. Um, organize often. Any, you organize anything, a political party, anything. And if anyone wants to lead it, whether you're a politician or anything, I mistrust you because you got a big ego. Okay, I'm I'm not into groups or anything. But the intent is very good. You know, the goodness and the hope. My wife's hope that it gives her and the strength it gives her. The fact that she can go through a ritual. That she could say a prayer or something, that's going to make her feel all right. Well, okay, what the fuck's wrong with that? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It, it, you know, and that's that's her magic. I told my son, you know, my son is is very intelligent, very gifted, and he um, he's kind of in a materialistic phase and kind of like you know, all religion's stupid. And I, in the last like, especially his teen years, I said, you know, you really have to understand that humans, every culture has its magic. Right, it's going to be different. It's going to be voodoo, some places, and you know, it's going to be Santeria, some places else. It's going to be Taoism somewhere else. But it, it it fills something for people, and it gives them comfort, and it's got a purpose. So yeah, so when people want to shit on all sort of, a lot of this stuff, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's being cool because a lot of fine people find comfort in organized religion. And if that works, them as long as they're not telling me or my friends. 
what to do in our personal life. I don't, you know, I'm talking about as the individual. If that gives you comfort, cool. You want to politicize that stuff or start expressing hate speech? Totally different world, you know. Totally different world. Yeah, but that's yeah, no, that's I, kind of where I draw my line. Like, is whatever you want to do, that's absolutely aces with me. You just don't, as long as you're not in, infringing on my whatever I'm doing. Like, I believe in all sorts of stupid shit. Like, cool. Like, let's all believe in our stupid shit. Like, it's it's fine. Like, there's no. You know, like we believe in the universal fucking the cosmology we have right now has dark matter because we're just throw a variable in. It's literally, they just said, yeah, there's some shit over there. We're not sure what it is, so therefore dark matter. Like, and we're we're a bunch of fucking upright eights with like pretty neato toys. Like, everything's stupid if you really look at it. So there's no, why would I judge you for your beliefs? It just don't make your beliefs get all fucking drippy on me you know oh yeah just so yeah if it gives you comfort cool it's just like if whatever your brand a cigarette or drink or whatever it is that's cool that's for you yeah just it's keep got, quiet it, i don't want to like yeah whatever if you like to kill animals cool man just yeah don't do it near me don't do it you know like uh, hey yeah. do, do you want to know my opinion on it okay i'll tell you but i'm not gonna you know it's that's it that's that's the end of like don't don't get all religious-y and then try to pass laws in my country based on religion like don't do that that's not you're fucking with me. I'm not trying to fuck with yeah. you. Like you're the one. Stop that. So That's you know, I can. And the Catholic thing is just easy because I mean, the fact is, it's. it's it, you know what? It's like the fat joke for the heavy person. Yeah, it come is. On. It's really, it's a simple, easy. It's, yeah. it's just it's just like come on. It, it's been done, and I'm sad. Young people have been hurt. As a parent, I hate that, but it, I also see the good in it, and the good it does for a lot of good people that I know for personally and. I will defend it on that level, and I'll defend anyone's spiritual choice, Duncan's or mine. And mine and yours are probably more similar to Duncan's and other people's. So I realize that you know I think a little outside the box, uh, but I don't I don't shove how I eat, or you know, or what I don't drink, or what I you know, or what I believe kind of the way is you know. Um, but it comes through in what how what I say on Twitter. <laughs> if you really you know, yeah. if you you know if you understand. Uh, a little bit of Taoism, you probably kind of see, or a little bit of uh, the Bhagavad Gita, you see a little of that too. You know, it. Uh, what was cool is it's very interesting. Very hear Duncan Trussell talk about uh, the Hare Krishnas. It. Uh, uh, I had some unusual friends, and uh, on Sundays we'd go down to Culver City to the Hare Krishna Temple back in high school, and they have a free vegetarian feast, and you get get all this. Uh, part of it was a little cultish, but part of it wasn't. It was a celebration, right? And they feed all the people in the community and a lot of Indian folks, and uh, they feed you vegetarian food, and you hear Indian music, and you get some incense, and you hear a little spirituality. It's a cool little thing if you go in L.A. every yeah, Sunday. Yeah, that doesn't sound bad at all. Uh, Culver, Culver City, the Hare Krishna Temple. They're super cool. Don't be afraid. You know what I mean? That's what I tell people. Don't be – the stuff, like I say, the stuff to see, see those things, man. That's fun if you're a vegetarian. Uh, you know, as a, when I was younger, it was it, – it, made being a vegetarian easier and i was a full vegetarian until about five years ago for over 20 plus years but i uh got it maybe a let me see when did i yeah around then but i found that i needed to add seafood at a set point in my life and i'm not older than you i needed to add seafood because i was uh i was getting weaker because i also do a lot of physical output and 20 plus years of the vegetarian diet was just started to uh um, I need to augment it a little. Yeah, and um, the the alternate of that is like the argument is that you can live any life on a vegetarian diet, yada yada. But like the amount of work you have to put into your eating to be a marathon runner or be like you know 
an athlete at a certain age and be vegetarian, I realized like sometimes, yeah, you just need to bring some fish into it. Like it just makes, it makes things a shitload easier. And if you're fine with that barter, you're like, yeah, like, and yeah. I, when I say vegetarian, I'm not a vegetarian now, but I have fish every now and again. I even have chicken every now and again, but I just use the term because 90 some odd percent of the time it's super accurate. Yeah. But I'm not a big believer in like, I, I don't give a fuck about like group names. So it just like, it just easy like, Oh, I'm a pesca ava, whatever. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. It just whatever. I'm a vegetarian. And then, you know, if you really care, maybe I'll break it down for you. But stop questioning me. Like it's it's so silly. Like I don't care. It's gonna become poo. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. It and uh, you know, but probably staying away from beef and pork. Probably if you're thinking about the longevity and things like that, I would say it's probably a good idea. You know, and I think you know it. Uh, I think science can back that up. If, although I don't want to argue with anybody about it, because I never even tell anybody. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I don't, I don't look like a sickly vegetarian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, but in my full vegetarian years, I did everything that, you know, I, I you can do just that. You can do everything as long as you're good about it. You know, and uh, and spiritually, you know, did it put me in good balance with the cosmos? I don't know. You know, it didn't do any harm. You know. <laughs> it didn't do any harm, and I felt, you know, I, I didn't, I, I uh, never felt bad about it. But it was socially awkward for some people, not me, but for other people. Yeah, you know, at that time, I decided to do it at a time where it was pretty, uh, not too many people were vegetarians. Oh, thankfully, and, it's it's easy as fuck for me. Like, not to rub it in, but like just being my age in the city I live in, like, yeah. holy crap, is it easy to be a vegetarian? Like, I have to put no work in. Like, when I hear about the like the the struggles of the old, you know, those. Like back in the sixties when it first started like coming in from India, like those those hippie weirdos that like brought like I can't even imagine trying to be a vegetarian in the United States in the sixties. Like that's gotta be a just oh, yeah. just effortful. Like I can go to like I, there's literally a fast food vegetarian restaurant in my town. It's, it's fast food. Like I haven't been in there, but like how fucking perfect is that if you're a person that wants to be vegetarian? Like you go into there where you can get fried whatever the fuck they make. Well, you know, interesting thing. I was talking to Vegan Mark, who's on Twitter, and he was having some bad reaction because he's very openly vegan. That's his thing, and it makes him happy, and it's super cool. Um, sometimes, folks who aren't vegetarian and stuff, if your view gets out, um, I was trying to explain to him. So don't worry about them criticizing. Try to think about what they're feeling in their criticism of you. Right? Why do they get defensive? You know, why are they uncomfortable with you not wanting to do things their way? You know, perhaps some of them think you're sounding elitist. You know, I'm not elitist. You're not elitist. And neither is Vegan Mark. But some folks think, oh, you big fancy city folk thinking you're all elitist, that vegetarian shit. And I don't think that's where his, 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 his intent is not that either. But I was trying to help him understand some of the negative reactions, you know, what these people feel like. First, how maybe some people, it's like, how dare you criticize my lifestyle? And he wasn't. But inside of them, what was behind their criticism of him probably was like they feel criticized. What I'm not as healthy as you. There, I, I know because I got a lot of weird reactions being a vegetarian, like in the mid '80s forward, and I I never advertised it. If it came up though, I got a lot of negative stuff in. And when I had to go to like in the business world, and I don't drink alcohol either, right? So I don't drink, I don't eat flesh, but I look like a you put a suit on me or whatever or a polo shirt, you know, fucking look like a, you know. Joe business guy. It kind of freaks people out and it make I found it made them, not me, uncomfortable. You know? 
and maybe they're starting to think, oh, fuck, I'm not, he- I'm not healthy. I'm going to have a heart attack. Or what does he think he's better than me? Um, but I think Vegan Mark was having those problems too. And I, heck, I don't judge them. It's like, God, bless you for eating meat. You know, that makes you happy. Fuck yeah. yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? That's where I try I, to come from. But I tend to get uncomfortable because they're uncomfortable. And then I have to do like this. Yeah. I mean, I know that's on me, but like, then I have to do the song and dance of like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And like, you know, just have to like discount myself because they were starting to feel uncomfortable. And it's like, ugh, I, you know, it's, it's fine. Like I get where they're coming from, but there is a certain amount of like, can we just like not talk about this? You know, can we, yeah. can we like, I like talking about the video, like the issue of vegetarianism, but I don't want to talk about it when we're on our way to eat, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because it could stir up other things. And, you know, people who hold, you know, food's very important to people. You know, it, uh, you listen to like uh, Joey Diaz and Lisa Yap discuss food. You wonder why those guys are heavy. They really like it. Yeah. You know, and I think some people like it more than others. But food is important to people. Um, but uh, and eating healthy is, it will pay off. There are dividends you'll get as far as, you know, longevity and long-term performance, I think, you know, with minimized animal protein. I think that's a that's a healthy way to look at things. And I you know, and I think a lot of these folks going with all this grass-fed beef and thinking beef needs to be the center of their diet. Um, I don't think science really agrees with that. You know, well, I always I just say, I, look at I just look at Japan. They have the longest-lived people on the planet up until they started eating Western, and mm-hmm. look at their diet. They have very little meat, if any, and the meat is fish, and it's fresh, and everything else did like, and they live to like a hundred and something when the rest of the world was living to sixty. Yep. There's your experiment. Yeah, like there, there. there. You just had an entire island of experiment for you. So let's, you know, or just where is cholesterol found? Animal products. Okay, that just you know what I mean. If we want to look at everyone's worried about their cholesterol level, well, genetically you may produce a lot, but if you're eating tons of animals, it's going to be higher. Therefore, you're you're a greater candidate for heart disease. Just a fact for coronary artery disease. Just a fact and other circulation issues. That that is just what it is, and if you have a doctor that's under the age of thirty-five, he will tell you this. Yeah. Sadly, many physicians are not very sophisticated when it comes to nutrition, you know, or they're old school; they don't give a fuck. Or maybe you live in a smaller town and they just want to get you out of there. Um, but I think through nutrition, you can't avoid doctors. I I recently went to my Western and Eastern doctor uh, for blood work and just getting checked out, and they couldn't find anything wrong. <laughs> which was fine. So to see the Western doctor who was new, we spent the majority of the session talking about the doctor's fitness and health, the things the doctor could do <laughs> quite honest. Cause I was a better specimen than the physician who was younger than me. Right. And the Eastern physician down in Chinatown, uh, all he could fight my, I have, a, I have a bad knee. Oh, you got a bad knee. Yeah, I do. Okay. But this is just, he, he died. What's cool is the, uh, the Eastern doctor doesn't, doesn't take any of your blood. He uh, will just feel your pulse, right? And maybe look at your eyes or your tongue, and he'll have a diagnosis. It's very interesting. But it, I suggest people, if you can, go to both. You know, it's, uh, why not get both points of view too? Because Western medicine is just one discipline, you know, of thought, not the only one. And the scientific method, even I think you can argue, is just one way of thinking. And Eastern medicine is a, another way of thinking and and that's just how i view both of them yeah you know? i mean i think that's wise you know it's i think but there's a certain amount of i mean and maybe this is just in me but like you can say like bill gates would be alive if he believed in western medicine 
like he had a f- treatable form of cancer. He went to you mean, you mean jobs. jobs, jobs. What did I say? It's okay. He said the other guy. Oh, I said Gates in Northwest. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Some usually high. Give, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, he absolutely would have. He, uh, and he waited yeah. too long for his treatment. No, no, I'm not arguing. With- yeah, no, I'm just saying. So when you think about that way, like their Western medicine really does kick ass at a lot of stuff, but they also kind of blow at recognizing some of the really, really fundamental truths of Eastern medicine. So well, in, if in you my, can, let me check this out. It, uh, I don't take anything, right? The only thing I take is medical cannabis. Okay, I'm a lot older than you. All right, go to doctors. Why the fuck don't you take anything? All your vitals come out cool. What the fuck? Because um, I have found um, most doctors are oriented towards big pharma solutions. Okay, for anything that anything you're going to bring their way, rather than lifestyle, diet, and you know maybe looking inside treatment. That's just what they're trained to do. They they are just trained to write a script to give you that solution. And now I do believe, like I say, in cancer treatments, clearly, you know, a variety of surgeries, Western medicine is where I will go. I have tons of orthopedic surgeries. I'm not going to have my, you can't do that with needles, you know, you can't rebuild my Achilles tendon with needles. Yeah. Think that. You can't sew, you can't stitch me together with needles. So I'll, I'll go for some of that. But I will say they are oriented towards the pharmacological solution to everything. All right. You're a living, breathing candidate of that, right? And I, you know, I think also too, I saw from my experience when I worked in psychiatric hospitals and I gave out medicines and saw how it was done and saw how easily it was all written out and stuff. Um, and been around lots of doctors for various reasons. Um, I just saw that as their orientation. I saw it as their solution to things, but I found that a lot of my health issues never didn't need that. I think those were great masking agents and great temporary fixes. Um, for some people, perfect fixes, but for me, not necessarily. I found that no, not, the, those most the medicines. Actually, I don't take anything other than vitamins. But I found most of them um, had side effects and didn't always treat what they were supposed to treat um, in me or in other people. I saw, you know. But I also found physicians are very interesting. Get a little bit old, get to be a little older, and if you're somewhat intelligent and when you start to talk to your doctors, um, and you don't go into a doctor's office with your hat in hand you know, as a subject, I go in there as a consumer and I'm hiring a professional like my mechanic, right? But I know my body or I know my car better than my mechanic. So I, I like to talk to doctors and I find more of a peer to peer thing. And, you know, it's not, and it puts them off a little off their balance or on their heels a little bit, but at the same time, it can be very comfortable for them. Um, but my conclusion with both, even this last doctor, Western doctor I talked to is, she said, okay, you want a prescription for anything? Here's my book. No, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But but that was the orientation. That was the full orientation. I'm going to give you the solution. But that's their teaching. You have to remember, that is how they're taught. That is how they're taught. And um, and also, too, they're incentivized for writing prescriptions. You have to know that. Um, so I'm sure some help many people. I've seen – hey, listen. I've seen lithium do amazing things to, to people with bipolar disorder. And in a clinical environment, in a hospital environment, part of the stuff I did in hospital was I taught people how to put people in straitjackets. That's what they used to do at a certain era in psychiatric clinics, right, before leather restraints. And you see people who would come in um, who, you know, they used to call it manic depression, right, or bipolar disorder um, because they're basically a simple salt is out of whack in them. 
they uh, can be up for days and days and days and act like raving lunatics to many people. Once that simple salt is balanced, this simple salt, that person goes back to being that person you see on TV or on the news or that's your neighbor. And as long as their medication is stabilized and their blood level's fine, that person's going to be fine the rest of their life. So I've seen amazing things with psychotropic drugs, I will argue, yes. I've also seen seen it as an alternative to psychotherapy, which is a just like meditation, which is a long, arduous path. See, that's you know? that's the exact problem that I that I tend to have with people that I mean, like I'm on an SSRI, but I did the work first. Like I Good. didn't I didn't take one. Like I fought it for years upon years, and then I just got to the point that I'm like, you know, I actually think I might kill myself. Like not not that I was going to, but the thought was like, oh shit, like this isn't seeming like a really dumb idea. It's seeming like just like a regular dumb idea. And it's like, oh, I don't want to continue that course. Like, all right, fuck it. I've done, you know, I, I put my due diligence in. I get, let's, mm -hmm. let's get on some pills for a few years and get myself right. But a lot of people don't do the work first and just want to take a magic pill, you know? No, you, yeah. And then just, they both work in and I've seen them both work together. And I've seen, uh, therapy in conjunction with medication get people back to a very productive life and a great life. And I know people who've been on antidepressants their whole life and are doing great or on, like I say, lithium their rest of their life. And they're, and this is something you may not know. Most of the desk wide comics are on something, not all, not Duncan. I don't know about Duncan, but Ari, he's on something. He talks about it on his podcast. Many of them talk about that. Just so, you know what I mean? So don't feel alone. Anybody out there listening, because I wasn't really trying to judge. There are plenty, again, because I know plenty of wonderful folks that uh, this little tiny component allows them to smile and laugh and go have a great life. So Yeah, sometimes it does. It is just a slight misfiring. And there's no, you know, it just, it, it shit does go wrong with the brain sometimes. But then a lot, it's the same as, you know, just American health as the whole. Like, if you're just eating horribly and you're drastically overweight, you know, the, the, and you're depressed because you're, you know, fat and, you know, you can't really move around all that well. No, don't take an SSRI. Don't take a blood thinner. Well, maybe take a blood thinner so you don't die immediately, but like lose weight. Like let's eat healthy, like do all the things first. And then if those are gone, okay. And you're still depressed. Yeah. All right. Maybe, maybe you might want to take some pills. Yeah. Or if it's acute and someone's uh, suicidal. So oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Jumpstart, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get some Wellbutrin in them. Yeah. And I've seen that do some good things, but yeah, yeah. But, or do everything together. Ideally. It's a this is an awkward edit. Awkward edit. Awkward edit. Awkward edit. Awkward edit. Awkward edit. I think we were talking about, uh, Oh, seasonal affective season. disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Seasonal affective disorder. Uh, I know my son is, uh, he's just spent his first year up, uh, in the Northwest. He's living in, uh, Bellingham, Washington. And I've also got family up in uh, Oregon, in your area, in Portland. My niece, uh, Melissa, who you should meet if you ever need a haircut. She's like a, a stylist, but she, uh, she's a super cool L.A. chick. And if you guys go to comedy shows, she should go with you. She's super cool and, you know, super attractive, but she's my niece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I do believe that you folks that, that do deal with many months of gloom and darkness, I do believe – that has an effect on mood. I, our short winters here, I feel them. I'm sensitive to things and it doesn't bring me down in the dumps, but it, I certainly feel the subtlety in my mood. And maybe I'm, you know, I, I'm not so sensitive in the sense that I let it affect me, 
but I am aware of what's going on. And I'm like, oh, so yeah, my, so my son's first, uh, first year up there, I think he, he wasn't sad, but he said, man, it's not sunny, man. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not sunny and it rains and it's very cool up there. I'm not criticizing the area, but I do believe dealing with that climate as pretty and green as it is and as wet as it is, not having all that sunlight, uh, I could see for me would probably make me indoors more and less sun I could see making me sad, you know, easily. Yeah. It's, easily. In it's interesting. I, I don't fall prey to that. Uh, I've never been like a, you know, people always say like, you know, listen to your body when it's, you know, urging for something. I've never had the sun urge. It's just, I, I'm like a night person. I don't know. Maybe my, whatever makes vitamin D maybe works really well in me. I don't know. Maybe it's the one thing that works, but when spring rolls around in this town, it is as demonstrative of, 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 you know, seasonal affective disorder, as you can see, because it is just a wash of humanity comes out and every mood is brightened. Every like the swarm leaving the basement is is incredible to watch, and every you can just see smiles everywhere that they weren't before. Like as the sun is out, and then even like usually we have like a false spring here where it'll stop raining for like a week or two, and then start raining again for a week. And during that week, they're not as depressed as they were over the winter. Like I think it really is just that sun treatment got their mood back up, and it's just so weird to watch like the the up of it. Cause you don't notice the down because it's, you know, it's a slow, you know, graduation, grad, grady, that thing. <laughs> yeah. So after two hours of talking, I know words get hard. Yeah. <laughs> Gradiation, I think. Yeah. That is the exact word I was trying to say. It was yeah. failing horribly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, it's pretty up there. I plan to, yeah, I plan to go up there in a little while sometime this year. I think, um, I kind of, part of me wants to drive, but, uh, yeah, my niece moved up there from LA from the beach area and she loves it. She's been up there a couple years now, cuts hair. Thinks people are cool, and when she was down here visiting in July, we had a little family family uh, reunion over at a beach area for a few days, and I turned her on to stand up paddle surfing or paddle cruising or boarding, right? And she's doing it all over those uh, all over Portland. You got something you should check out, man. You know, she learned from the best, and she's doing it up there. And you folks should anyone listening should definitely get in. You know, I know it's getting cold up there. Stand up paddle boarding. It's like stand-up kayaking, kind of. Those who haven't seen it, I think many people have. I've been doing it for about 10 years. I'm a big proponent of it. But she's doing it up there. So people are doing it up there, man. Something oh. you can think about doing in the spring. Where where up here? Like out, out of the coast? Like drive out that way? Let me look. Let me just look at her Facebook page and see if it says <laughs> anything. Uh, I, she's having a grand time with it. She's even got a little – she takes her little dog with her. She's got a bunch of animals too. She's super cool. She's got uh, – uh, she has a little life vest for her little puppy well, that she awesome. takes with her paddleboarding <laughs> in Portland. Let's see where. Okay, sweetheart, where are your pictures? Let me see if I can find. But she's been paddleboarding all over that area. Let's see if it says. Oh, God. It's the Columbia River. How's that oh, sound? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, and, I... and there's a place that rents them, and she's gone like, I think she's gone a dozen times since she was down here. She's totally into it. Now, what's so cool about it, and anyone who's into Duncan Truss or whatever, or anyone who's done yoga, or even someone who's done martial arts, because the mindset in those things is you have to be calm, alert, and relaxed. This requires that, and it's alert, attentive, and relaxed. Uh, 
first not she was standing paddle boards you could do a lot of things you could cruise around for exercise you could surf them you could fish off them what you guys can do up there is just cruise around on them. but what you got to do is you got to balance on this board paddle and work with the elements and i believe the best resistance is nature is gravity wind water i, I don't lift weights or anything like that i just use what nature gives me uh, i also find from doing this it's incredibly relaxing because it takes calm and focus at the same time. And because you're on water, your whole body kind of has to flow and kind of has to get loose, right? Because if you're really tight, you're going to fall. If you follow some basic rules, you'll probably never fall. And what's really cool is you start to feel because you're interacting with all the elements, the water and the wind and even the sun, you're going to start to feel all these things. You can feel. When you're on the water, you can really feel what I call the pulse, which is the – I feel is the beat of nature, right? The thing that makes all these waves go. You can kind of feel that movement. Uh, you also have to pay attention to water. boat goes by, you get knocked over. It, it's loads of fun. And as far as exercise, you may not know it, but 20 minutes, 30 minutes is all you really need at first because it's in a complete overall body workout. Works everything, and there's no impact on any of your joints. Okay. Yeah, sounds Zero. good. Yeah. And it's what I think for me, especially being older, is it's a workout that it gets past the body because I'm not all about working out to look good. That's just a, a bit, looking out, looking physically fit, maybe just a byproduct of exercising. And that's cool and all, but it it's a good workout for the nervous system. I uh, I try to get out as often as possible, and it I leave. I leave, even if I just go out for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I come back super stoked, yet relaxed and calm. It's, and you find it challenging because it could take you many years to be very good at it. And uh, you got water all around you, man. And when and some folks call it walking on water. And when you do it right, it can be pretty cool and you can get that sensation of just gliding. And uh, something to think about, though. And like she's doing it, and I know folks are doing it up there. And what's I got into it years ago. Uh, uh, I blew up my knee doing Muay Thai, and I'd done regular surfing. And this this was just coming, just came over here from Hawaii to South Orange County, where I was living in this really cool surf, surf town. And I liked it because no one else was doing it. And now you'll see it everywhere, but no one else was doing it. I like that. And you could do so much with it. Like one day I could surf. Another day I got a race board. I can go out in the middle of the ocean and go try to find whales. And I find dolphin. Three or four times a month I paddle with dolphin on a regular basis. It's no big deal, you know. Uh, and speaking of dolphins, uh, I hope everybody listening, just you, Alex, sees the, the documentary Blackfish. A, it's about sea mammals, particularly killer whales in captivity. It covers a story of Tilikum, which is a whale at SeaWorld that killed that trainer. Any other – us mammals that can talk and speak and work computers should watch this, okay? And and never take your children to SeaWorld. Yeah, really. I, firm, I have not seen that one. I will watch it though. But firm advocate Please of that, do. do not give money to places that keep – Never. It's just – they're fucking – they're us. I mean as much as I get bothered by people eating pigs, like dolphins are us. Like they're, they're fucking us. That's the same – they're so smart and Dude. fuck you people for doing no that's like slavery that's some fucked up shit like no do not give money to anything what? that hurts yeah yeah absolutely i've never taken my son to sea world 
maybe once the LA Zoo. I'm not a big fan of those things. You want to see you want to see whale or you want to see dolphin? Go in the ocean. I promise you, they're there. I promise you to see them wild, to see how healthy they look and how happy. To, to, even I've seen dolphins hundreds of times, but it's still magical. And you can look on my uh, Twitter page or my Instagram page, see some pictures of me paddling with dolphins and my wife took. But I literally am inches away from them, and they just chill, right? <laughs> they just chill, and they will follow me. I'll turn my back on them paddling, and they will follow me. Uh, and some people may not believe this, but uh, I sing to my dogs. You know in Happy Songs? When I'm out there with the dolphin, I sing to them too, and I believe they hear me and they follow me. You know, It sure feels like there's interaction because I will tell you, one time I was out paddling way in the ocean, and there was a, a few baby dolphins and a mommy, and I got close, not too close, but about four or five feet away, and the mommy kind of circled. She, her rear tail, she flapped really hard at me to kind of communicate, hey, stay away. I got my babies here, man, and I backed off about six feet. She was cool. She popped up, you know. Went back alongside me, said it's cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's really beautiful, man. It's beautiful. You know, I, any, uh, I will tell you, anybody, you live in a place where it's beautiful and green, you have outdoors. Think about our friends that are in concrete cities that can't get out. If one can get out into nature every day or as often as possible, it's really good for the spirit too, any way you can. If you could tie it in with an activity, super cool. But uh, like if I live in your area or my son's area, all I'd be doing is hiking. All I'd be doing is just going out and exploring and seeing what's out there. And that, that uh, for me, that's that's really stimulating and exciting, you know, running across something. My morning runs, my, my dog and I run across like raccoons on the beach. It's so fun. I love that stuff. Even though I'm old, it's still exciting, you know. I, I, I like that stuff. And uh, those little kind of uh, – those things are there in everyone's backyard. You just kind of look around for them, you know. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm big advocate of the hiking too. I just – I'm not a uh... – I like I like a day hike. I, I, yeah. yeah, I'm not right. a. I really don't like camping, which I know it's um, kind of sacrilege. But like, I, I we invented beds. Beds are great, but I love right. walking in the woods for hours. Just I just want to sleep in a bed at the end of it, though. <laughs> I, I like beds and showers. Yeah. When I was younger, I could do the whole hiking thing and being all dirty and funky with the boys, and it's cool. But you know, I, I like to be clean. You know, I don't I don't care about being shaven or anything. But I want a bed because I'll I'll feel better. And uh, I want to shower. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain like we evolved and we invented things and we we got thumbs and we built houses. Let's not forget the house. It's wonderful. We don't need to go back to tents. The house is really ah, great. Like yeah. we did such a good job at this. <laughs> yeah, and there's no comfortable sleep in a tent. I don't care about egg crates, whatever you know, or you know, foam mattress. No, you're gonna be uncomfortable and probably wake up way too early, considering how late you probably stayed up the night before. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and my friends always try to get me out. It's like. You've been in my apartment. It's much bigger than a tent. Like, <laughs> I've got like all sorts of climate control. It's wonderful here. Like, it's all right. I'll walk you guys out there. I'll just turn around midway and fucking go back home. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. But, but I do, yeah, getting out in the outdoors, like I said, that's the great thing about where you live is water everywhere, which I would be tempted to paddle. And, uh, and just it's green. And that's the thing you you know you guys get people are there's less violence there's less traffic there's less congestion, and people uh anyone I've ever met from Oregon super cool, <laughs> you know, everyone seems super cool and laid back and uh, 
and uh, yeah the worst we get is passive aggressive it's not it's really the 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 barometer doesn't go that deep like it's the biggest jerk you're gonna run into is like oh you're kind of rude you know <laughs> like you don't you don't see you know you don't see a lot of uh at least not in the neighborhoods i hang out in you know it's not a ton of violent crime just you know like oh man it's laid back people yeah right on right on <laughs> so um so what else is good in portland um I don't know. Uh, what else is good in Portland? Uh, What's going on? Anything on the uh, agenda? Are you going to go see a show? Is there big festivals or a big this and that? No. I mean, I'm sure there are. I, you know, I'm, I'm much more of a sit around and read a book than go to a festival kind of person. I'm, oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, more like, yeah. It's just, I was always, uh, you know, I just, uh, as things get, get colder and wetter up there, uh, you guys just do more stuff indoors. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, and there's a bunch of, like, kind of little tiny art things that go on, you know, but, um, weird book events, but yeah, right now is the rush that everybody, like, every weekend is some kind of throng of humanity trying to grab those last little rays of sun before the, before the winter sets in, which... Yeah, it's coming. I like, I like observing, but I don't like, that's just too much of a mass of people and that desperate need to, like... God, we have to have fun. Really, just kind of, it's like, it's too stressful to have fun in that environment when you're like really, really trying to have fun. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like crowds either. Yeah. I'm, I like the coffee shop around the corner. Like, it's, I'll just go there and watch the people walk by. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is nice for me. All the girls are wearing low cut shirts. All right. Everything's perfect. That's a good sign of summer and spring. Nothing wrong with that. You know, nothing wrong with that. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, I think I'm starting to get tired. Now. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, about Two wrapping up point. conversation. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I start my days real early, FYI. But to man, it's super fun, you know, and those listening, we, Alex and I have never talked. I just listen to this podcast and uh, we follow each other on Twitter and just, uh, you know, enjoy each other's company kind of, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, which is a very, you know, like I say, the comment on some of the beauties of the 21st century and modern forms of communication is that folks all over the world, you find people, you wouldn't, you wouldn't normally find because of geography or if they're in your neighborhood, you may not even be friends for whatever reason, you know? Um, yeah. We just got to have a cool conversation, talk about shit because of a fucking hashtag. Like that's, that's some, this is some miracle, you know, ritual fucking magical stuff that we're performing here. (laughs) That's why I call it death squad umbrella. Cause it's not, you know, Hey, the fact that you like UFC and we comment on the UFC live, that's fucking rad. You know, you know, the fact that you understand contemporary literature, Okay, not every not everyone does jujitsu does, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But that's cool. You see, that's the diversity. You know, it. Uh, everyone on here is a little bit different. You know, everyone on here is a little bit different. And if you ever come to L.A., you have to go to a show with me. You know, yeah. You have to uh, break bread and follow the uh, hardcore death squad tradition, which is, you know, I like to do thing things to do in death squad before you're dead. Often it's like, <laughs> you know. It's just to come here and do, you know, just have fun stuff. It's to do something fun. And and uh, it was cute. I will say this. Uh, the folks who came here to visit L.A., because I was born and raised here, and there's no – nothing sh- is shiny to me. It's just another gas station. I mean everything – It there's – you know, but people who are here on vacation are excited. This is – if they've never been here before, it's exciting to them. And that's neat to see in people. I'm not. I'm not minimizing it or belittling it. It's more that kind of genuine human enthusiasm. Like they're happy to be here in a place like, uh, like, oh, okay. I've been here. A lot. You know, I've been to Sunset Boulevard 
like a million times. It's I hate the parking. But for them, it's like, fuck, this is so exciting. That's neat. You can get off on that energy too. Yeah. No, yeah. that's what I love when people visit Portland. I'm just like, I kind of get reinvigorated a little bit. It's like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, you're I right. Hate- this is neat. Like, I forgot. Like, I just, I walk by it so many times. Hey, hey being able to hook uh, Death Squad Arizona and JR Steiner up with the best dim sum in downtown LA at Chinatown. I like that. It's like, because you, if you want to eat somewhere good, talk to me. You know yeah. what I mean? If it's Asian food, especially, we know that inside and out. I can give you wherever you're staying. I could, if someone's going to take me up that on that and not go to the, you know, Taco Bell, please don't. One cat, I won't mention his name, from another country came here and his idea of Mexican food was Taco Bell. I gave him a recommendation of this mom and pop cafe right down the street. Uh, I'll just go to Taco Bell. I'm like, oh, okay. No, oh, okay. that's, the, that's oh. not Mexican food. <laughs> Oh, that's sad. You know, that's not Mexican food, brother. But maybe you think that's Mexican food. But uh, but there are good – yeah, say off the beaten path. Like I say, don't go to Disneyland. Don't go to Universal Studios to come to L.A. Visit Venice if you need the picture, okay? But remember, Venice is full of tourists and people performing for the tourists. Yeah. I want to go to that. The only tourist place I want to go to is that, that place from uh, where, where calls, that observatory, whatever oh, the name Bishop is. Oh, Park. Fuck yeah. yeah. That place looks awesome. Like, I realize that's like a place people go, but like that place looks pretty uh, badass. <laughs> like, here's, okay. Check this out. Here's fun. Here's a little known fact about LA, unless you're from LA. Okay. Griffith Park. It is attached to uh, Griffith Park is the observatory where they film Rebel That Cause, obviously. Um, and there's a giant park and everything. On the other side of it is this thing called Travel Town, which is this train park where they have old school trains and that have been around for a hundred odd years. Super cool. What's interesting in between both of these is a I don't even know what it's called. Okay. I don't even know what they call this thing. All right, but it's a little bit of the underbelly. If I was Elmore Leonard, I'd be telling you this. Okay. The late great writer. Hey, I recommend anybody, if you know this writer, Elmore Leonard, he wrote Many films or many films were based on his work. Go look up the films of Elmore Leonard from Jackie Brown to Get Shorty to 10 others. They're worth listening to. Um, uh, where was I, Alex? Uh, you're yeah. talking about the place in between. Um, okay, so train check this and, out. Yeah. This, is, this is when I first drove across this, I didn't know what the fuck it was. Then as I got to be older and more sophisticated, I got to see what it was. It is kind of a shooting gallery for straight and gay dude. Well, whatever, married and gay dudes to hook up. In between this kitty town of trains for kids and the observatory, there's a line of about usually 60 cars, right? All, all men sitting in the driver's seat, right? And then often you'll see dudes coming back from the bushes together. And forever, for about 40 years in LA, this has always been a place where often it's straight dudes or whatever, married dudes go to hook up. But as you drive by in between the kitty town and Griffith Park, you'll see this uh, shooting gallery of dudes, very, very uncomfortable looking dudes as you drive by. If you're, you know what I mean? If you don't look like you're there cruising. Yeah. And it's really, I wish they could do it somewhere else because there's kids nearby. You know what I mean? But it is such an unusual thing. And it's gone on forever for, for 40 years. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It's always been there. And you first drive by, it's like, huh, why are all these cars parked here? And then after like the third time you're, you're going to Griffith park. It's like, wait a minute. Why are these, you know what I mean? And it's a just bizarre like thing. It's like an LA tradition for dudes to hook up in between this unusual area in Griffith Park between Travel Town and the observatory is this little like uh, shooting gallery. <laughs> You'll see it if you ever come. Yeah, that's now you so know weird. Yeah. <laughs> if you're just a tourist, you just drive by. 
But when you see, why are there 50 cars with just all these dudes, usually just white males, always in the pass uh, the driver's seat, just sitting there. <laughs> and they're yeah. all just sitting there. You know and I guess I mean? I'll know where to go if I get lonely. <laughs> well, if you get really lonely, yeah. yeah. But it's it's a funny little it's one of those little curiosities like the the underground tunnels of downtown LA. It's the uh, shooting gallery between Travel Town and uh, the Observatory. Yeah. yeah, that's a good thing to see. That's not super touristy because actually people Los Angelinos go there and fuck around there. You know what I mean? If you live in the city, you don't have the beach near you. That's a big giant park. So it uh, and it's got some history. Um, the parts of LA that are cool are the pre-war parts. Right. It, a lot of the stuff built after the war just looks like everything else. But it's the stuff, it's the architecture in Pasadena, you could see by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, great buildings, some good museums there in Pasadena. So if you go to the Ice House, you, you've got the, uh, there's a great museum, I just, the name slips me, and you've got some great homes to see, man. Anyways, I'm getting on the tourist trip, and we've been talking for two hours and change. Yeah, no, and, uh, no, 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 it's, it's good times. Well, it's super fun, man. Hey, we'll uh, do this again sometime. Yeah, thank you uh, very we'll much for coming on. Yeah, it's a long yeah, time coming. Yeah. All right, have glad a good I, night, man. Glad I could represent uh, the West Coast. I oh, know you yeah. did. You did very well for yourself, uh, making LA seem not the way that everybody else talks about it. <laughs> hey, I will say, yeah, you know, the people I was born and raised here, the people who give LA a bad rep, like all those super douchebags, they didn't grow up here. They're guys who moved here who like thought that's how you're supposed to act and be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the folks I know are fucking cool and do cool stuff, and they're not the dickheads in Hollywood. Like in Hollywood, you could see the dickheads in the the shishi cars strolling by with the you know the certain costume. That's not yeah that you know. And the folks in Northern California give the SoCal folks a hard time. It's like no, it's they're giving that stereotype cat. You know. Yeah. The stereotype cat, and uh, but a lot of folks are just like me. Just like you too. And hey, through Twitter, you realize that, you know, that's the beautiful thing of this all, you know, and beautiful thing about the podcast, man. So uh, a beautiful two hours and 16 minutes and 55 seconds. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, oh, you've got a counter on yours too. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it helps, but super fun. Super yeah, fun. yeah, indeed. And shout out to everybody who listens to the AlexCast. Uh, follow me at Waterboxer. Yes, follow uh, at Waterboxer on the, on the Twitter. He's a lovely man to uh, have on your Twitter feed. Yeah, I hope to uplift you uplift you i'm getting tired but alex super fun talking to you man i knew we'd have a good conversation yeah indeed no yeah, went well so uh yeah i will uh, see you on the old uh, on the old twitter there yes sir take care have a good evening uh, you too bye all right bye bye